heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. 131 episodes down, the 131st episode of YWC Football Talk, but also a very special one too. This is episode number three of the Danny Dimes Primetime Series. And if you know what that means, that means that it's Big Rad and I here. And I'm going to have a compliment for him off the bat and say this. That was the best pass protection I think I've seen from the Miami Dolphins in a long time yesterday. Uh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. They, they, you know, we have not seen a whole lot of that this season. Uh, but Le- Liam Eikenberg, I, I know I know. we'll talk about the Dolphins more in depth in a little bit, but I will say on the pass protection point, Liam Eikenberg, their left tackle, they drafted in the second round, who's been horrible, like one of the worst graded tackles in PFF. He actually had his best game of the year yesterday, according to their grading. So, yeah, that's yeah, good. Your, yeah, your game was a coming, kind of a coming out party for second round draft picks, obviously with Elijah Moore having a really good game, and then uh, Liam Eikenberg. So a little tip for tat there. So I know Danny seems 2-8. and eight. You guys are, I believe, 3-7 and seven now? Four and seven. Four, Four and seven. seven. My apologies. That's right. We have our buys are the same week, week 14. Yes. So yes. we'll see what happens. And as for the Pats, look, I, all I'm going to say about that game quickly was I, I thought trap game, but I totally forgot. Dude, Atlanta has probably the worst offensive and defensive line combination in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And it really showed in that game in particular. Uh, I feel, I felt bad for Matt Ryan, man. Like they're just, I feel like he's getting a lot of criticism, but He's, he's put in a really tough position half the time, it seems like. Exactly. Like, I was just watching him, and even like, I was watching with, like, my girlfriend, my mom. And Holy shit, they got to stop. I know. Ah. I, I literally, like, I'm going to, sorry to cut you off, but what I did was I literally was, like, just shaking. I'm like, my fists in the air, like, let's fucking go. The cover's still off. For those of you folks who don't know, Big Rad and I are huge on Danny Dimes covering in primetime. And also, fun fact that I learned, apparently, Tom Brady is hasn't covered the spread in his last 11 primetime games. Yeah, and one, one, one more against the spread note for you. Uh, Joe Judge is 9-2 and two against the spread uh, on the road in primetime. So, yeah, or 9-2 and two against the spread on the road, period. So, yeah, like it's, it's, a, it's a good day for the spread, but we'll see as the, as the podcast progresses. But, yeah, Atlanta, Matt Ryan, put in a tough spot. Um, hope, you know, we'll see if the Calvin Ridley thing improves. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Patriots, when you really think about it, they were better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Belichick made it his mission to limit Kyle Pitts' impact as much as possible, and Cordero Patterson was hurt. So you put all three of those things together, maybe it's not that surprising. I'm like you. I thought it would be a trap game, but, you know, hard, hard to deny how well your team is playing. Oh, no, no, no. I thought it was going to be a trap game because I'm like, you know what? We're coming off this big win against Cleveland. It's going to be one of those, like, spots where the Patriots could be, like, in a letdown, you know, where it's like, hey, yeah, like, they're going to go in. Everyone's going to think easy win, easy win, like we saw with Nashville yesterday, in Nashville yesterday. We'll Correct. get into that in later. I just thought, you know what, trap win like that, but then halfway through it, I'm like, okay, cool, the Falcons are the Falcons. I'm just like, there's it's, it's nice and comfortable. It's nice and comfortable, but we'll see. Basically, the Patriots right now, I know you and Danny were going back and forth on this, where I loved your point about how, look, you're supposed to beat teams like this, because no matter what happens down the stretch, because obviously they have the really tough stretch coming up with the two Bills games, the Titans, and I'll even throw the Colts games in there. Colts, the Colts yeah. are now back and well there's a lot we got to talk about that game um one of my correct my only correct bet from yesterday unfortunately 
Ottawa's Colts plus seven. But um, with the with the Patriots right now, like I like the point of how you're saying, yeah, you're supposed to beat the teams, and even two, like how I'm kind of kicking us losing to Miami in Week One. I would be doing the same thing, say, if we lost the games to Cleveland or L.A. Those are the games I think you had to have had because those are the teams that are going to be in that playoff contention. Meanwhile, yeah, we killed the Jets. We beat the Panthers. And we, you know, we beat the Falcons handedly. Those are the games we're supposed to win. And that's the thing about the NFL. You're supposed to win the games you're supposed to win because it's those games that can truly come back and bite you in the ass later in the season. Yeah, like the Bills, you know, losing to the Jaguars, you know, for example. Like that loss hurts a lot more now that they're losing these games to these other teams. And yeah, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my core beliefs in the NFL that like, what is impressive is winning games decisively. And the Bucks last year were terrible against playoff teams. They were one in five against playoff teams in the regular season. That's why in this podcast, I was fading them going into the playoffs like everyone else was. Um, now what ended up being predictive is that in the NFL, most games are close. You know, the ball bounces like 10 different directions, a close game can go either way. We see this all the time, especially games that go to overtime. The other team doesn't get the ball back. But like when you, so when you can, and we also know in the NFL, the level of talent difference between each team is really not that big. Everyone's an elite professional athlete. Everyone's an NFL player, et cetera. So when you can just demolish a team, I think that's impressive. And with the Bucs last year, what was indicative of them being a Super Bowl quality team wasn't that they beat good teams because they never beat good teams in regular season ever. It was that when they played bad teams, they destroyed them. They would beat the Panthers by 20. They would beat the Raiders by 20. They would beat the Broncos by 18. And so now with the Patriots, I, I, I get what Danny's saying. A lot of people are saying, well, they're crushing bad teams, but let's see what happens when they face the good teams. I just don't think that means that much. When they play a good team, it's probably going to be a field goal game in either direction. Like, who knows what the result's going to be. But, like, destroying bad teams is predictive of high-quality teams. And the Patriots right now, much like the Bucs last year, one of the arguments the Bucs always had was they had, like, one of the best point differentials in the league because all their losses were close and all their wins were blowouts. The Patriots right now, I believe, have the best point differential. In the, I don't know if it's in the NFL, but it's definitely in the AFC. It's, or maybe it, maybe it is the NFL. I don't remember. But, yeah, I, I think they're legit. I think they're legit. And if they go, like, one and three against the Bills, Colts, and Titans, I don't think that means they're frauds. No, like, I still think we're going to be in the playoffs at this rate. I feel like we'd effectively have to lose out and go, like, 7 and 10 or 8 and 9 or even 9 yeah. and 8. But at the same time, too, I think 9 and 8 this year is going to be enough to get anyone in the playoffs. That's why I'm not discontinuing the Colts. Like, hell, I'm not discontinuing the Dolphins. Um, even oh, yeah. The NFC, even, yeah, I'm out here just honestly, too, I think, because you guys, look, you still play the Jets, you have the Giants, you have the Panthers. Um, Saints, it's only that Saints last three-week stretch. Yeah. It's that last three-week stretch, though, that you guys where it's, the Saints, it's the it's the Saints, the Titans, and the Patriots. That's where I'm worried for you guys. But if you guys can, you know what, take care of business over your next three games and go into that Saints game on at the two days after Christmas at seven and seven. Yeah, you basically control the fate in your palm on the palm of your hand. Yeah, because then you know if if, if they go because I do like and again it's hard to predict a team going ten and seven after they start one and seven. But if they were to go ten and seven, I do think they'd get in. I think that's not that controversial. If they were to go nine and eight. I do agree. I think they'd have a chance because it just seems like that seventh seed, whether it's the Steelers, whether it's the Browns, whether it's the Broncos, whether it's the Chargers, you know, like these seem like teams that are going to go nine and eight or 10 and seven. And uh, the Dolphins, the Dolphins, two of their losses are from the NFC, whereas uh, like the, the Chargers, as an example, for the Chargers played the NFC East this year. 
And I believe they've they've beaten the Eagles and football team, lost to the Cowboys, haven't played the Giants yet. But Correct. if they, but let's say they beat the Giants, they're going to go three and one in the NFC East. The Dolphins went two and two in the NFC South already because they lost to the Falcons and the Bucks. So in potential tiebreaker situations, the Dolphins nine and eight might come with more wins against AFC teams than a Chargers nine and eight would come against, and that could help the Dolphins in a tiebreaker. So I do think it's possible, but you know it is. It is a lot to ask for. I am happy with the state of the team so far. The the defense and the offense are kind of – they kind of have an identity right now. The defense is returning to the, you know, super aggressive, powerful secondary that they had last year. They are still getting turnovers. I remember talking with this to you on the podcast a few weeks ago. They're like fifth in the NFL in turnovers right now. They are still getting turnovers. That did not, that did not regress from last year. So – the defense is playing better. I think their safety tandem, for listeners who haven't heard them yet, uh, Javon Holland and Brandon Jones. Javon Holland was a second-round draft pick this year. Brandon Jones was a third-round draft pick last year. They're really growing as a safety tandem. And Javon Holland's one of the highest-rated defensive rookies in the league. He's not going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. We all know Micah Parsons has that on lock. But, you know, he's he, he has been one of the better defensive rookies in the NFL this year. And so their safety tandem is coming on. Byron Jones and Xavier Howard didn't play in the Jaguars game, for example. Uh, so, like, they're both healthy right now so like their team the team is getting the defense is getting better and the offense has it's a very complicated identity it's not particularly fun to watch for non-dolphins fans but they have a very efficient quick passing game Tua is very very good at like not missing his layups like that that throw that jimmy g made to jeff wilson where he overthrew him in the end zone right and we've seen baker mayfield do that in the past too that doesn't happen with Tua. Tua doesn't miss wide open guys in the end zone like those guys do so even though most of his throws are relatively easy he just doesn't he does not make mistakes very often. He has a terrible interception every week. I'm not denying that. But he can sustain a 15-play drive, whereas other quarterbacks maybe cannot because they make mistakes at a higher frequency than he does. Uh, so they have a quick passing game, and they have Jalen Waddell and Gusecki. The offense has been pretty good in Tua's starts. They're a middle-of-the-road offense when Tua is the quarterback, and the defense is playing better. So if you can have a great defense and a middle-of-the-road offense, presuming Tua doesn't get hurt again, I, I that sounds like a 9-8 and eight football team to me, but we'll see. I mean, and this is not a knock on the box, but that was the box for a lot of last year too, like where they yeah. have these games where their defense was like, oh, I'm not saying you guys are going to like box run and win and it went out like out of the box one out in December, but the box for a lot of their games, it was either look the offense was great or the defense was great. Like they, you yeah. have to find, if you can find that like happy middle ground in the NFL, and I learned that with a lot of the Brady Patriots, where and even too like it's a baseball metaphor where it's like look if you you can have games you lose like where your pitching's off but you're batting great, or it's the opposite where you're not getting the batting, but you're you're getting the pitching. With the NFL, if you can find that happy medium in between where you know what, hey, if there's a game where the offense has to bail you out or the defense has to bail you out, it's not the end of the world. You just can't be doing it consistently. Yeah, yeah, it can't, can't, can't be like a, a, a gr- like every single week, like you needing that miracle like play, the pass breakup in the fourth quarter or the touchdown drive in the fifth quarter. Oh, wow. I did well, that's pretty good for the cover. That's cool. I didn't want to say anything, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike Evans. That's an, Mike Evans. That's an incredible amount of discipline on your end to not be able to say anything, because I would not have been able to hold that in. Believe me, I'm, like, trying my hardest not to say anything. I'm trying to be a good guy. I'm a good host. Okay, man? <laughs> Y'all, so you know, Griff is a way better uh, – so, like, every time we do these Daniel Jones primetime games, I'm always, like, a play ahead. And I have horrible discipline. I can't help but react in the moment. And I always spoil the play for him. And Griff, we're, now I'm watching the game on my iPad, so I'm actually behind him on the stream. And now, like, 
now he's actually doing a good job holding his breath in and everything. He's being way better at this than I was for like two years. The one thing I want to say about this though, and Jerry made a really good point about this last week, is that like because we were recording during the obviously the Rams Niners game, and Tyler Higby had the same similar play where it went off his hands into the nine. I think it was uh, what's that? I think it was Jason Ward or Jeff Ward for uh, Jimmy 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 Ward. Jimmy Ward, Jimmy Ward, and he got a pick six. I feel like when that happens, it shouldn't be on the quarterback as an interception. I feel like that's got to be on like the receiver as a drop ball. Yeah, we got to find a way, like, in the stat sheet to, like, change it so that it's not – so that it doesn't punish the quarterback the same way. Uh, you don't want to head down Brady, though. That it, I mean, <laughs> wow, five interceptions in the last three games. Look at that. But even, too, that was, like, against two solid defenses and then the one divisional game. Um, even, to like, when you said that box point about last year, it made a lot of sense because uh, – Uh oh, his audio just broke up. I hope that's not because something terrible happened. Oh no! <laughs> Big man touchdown. <laughs> Andrew Thomas touchdown. <laughs> oh man, I felt so bad when they took Robert Hunt back. I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, for, for for those who love the Robert Hunt play, uh, if you watch the Dolphins Jets highlights on NFL on NFL.com. After Miles Gaskin scored the uh, the go ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter, he gave the ball to Robert Hunt, and Robert Hunt scored. So Robert Hunt was given a chance to celebrate his touchdown one week later. If that if that makes anyone feel a little bit better, man, we're up fucking plus. We're even right now, so we're we're good. We're good. <sighs> so far, so good. Well, I mean, we, me and you, have, me and you have been up. Me and you have been. We're, I feel like we have the same discussion. For the Eagles game last year, the Bucks game last year, the, the, rest- same, the spread was the same for the Bucks game last year. It was eleven and a half, and I'm like, there is no way the way the Bucks were playing last year. Sorry to cut you off, that they were going to yeah. cover it, and they lost by two. And that that game was in New York too. That's what made it even worse. Now again, like I, I don't want to almost won that game too. Remember? Yeah, and with if not for the two point conversion at the end, I I don't want to prematurely celebrate. Like obviously we've been doing this a long time. Like there could be a a kick return touchdown, a pick six, or some nefarious stuff. But I think it's the spirit. It's that we knew this would like we both thought the Bucks would win, but we knew this would be like a closer game than people thought. So like it's the spirit of it. That's all. And but, but even earlier, than like a few weeks ago with Kansas City, we knew, and that's a different story now with spreads. But um. We knew with that game, I'm like, 10 and a half is too many points the way Kansas City was playing. And was yeah, they, they, yeah, they weren't playing that well at the time. And, like, I feel like I, like the Eagles game last year, too, like, I feel like all these games end exactly the same. The Giants are way more competitive than people think, and they have some heartbreaking, like, game-losing drive on the last drive to lose by, like, three points or less. Like, all, all five, we did two Giants primetimes games last year, two this year, including the Washington football team one on Thursday, where they missed the field goal and then made it. And then the Chiefs game, and now this. Like, I feel like it's been the same story every single time. That's what makes it so much fun. It's so yeah. consistent. You know what's also funny, too, is that the, the two other teams that come to mind when it comes to blowing leads are the ones who, who won this week and did blow leads, like the Minnesota Vikings, um, the, the Chargers last night. Now we'll see if the Steelers makes it 3-for-3 three three for all these teams who usually blow leads that they actually end up winning. Yeah, and the, the Steelers this week is interesting because uh, they, they, the, they play the Bengals. The Bengals beat them earlier in the season, and the Steelers, you know, kind of can't afford too many more losses. And with the Steelers, like kind of what you were saying, they've been very consistent the last few weeks against the Browns and on Sunday Night Football against the Chargers. Um, 
they they have this thing where they like people expect them to like suck and then they play better than people think when they're underdogs but when they're favorites like big favorites against the lions that's when they that's when they fuck it up but like when they're underdogs against a good team like against the browns like against the chargers and now this week against the Bengals, that's usually when they surprise people so i'd be interested to see how they play this weekend for that reason yeah, I'm in the same way. Because even the Bengals, too. The Bengals are that weird team where it's like, okay, when you think they're not going to do anything, they do something. But then when we think they're going to do something, they don't. Like the Ravens game. I, mean, I was like, oh, you know what? Hey, the Ravens Ravens should win this. The Bengals have a chance. But then the Bengals ended up winning big. And then they lose to the Jets. And then they get their asses kicked by the Browns. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, the, did we claim the Bengals? Or do we crown them yeah. too early? Now it's, hey, look, they beat the Raiders, which obviously they're going through a very horrible situation, which I still – some people are starting to say it that look the Henry Ruggs thing is affecting them not of what actually happened but his absence yeah. but with the Raiders too because they seem to be doing their same thing as they do every year you know where it's they have a great September October and then November comes in and then the the wheels just fall off yeah it's it's yeah it's, it's a shame like uh, so as we know the roster like you said the roster they've done it like pretty much all the last three years you lose Gruden and then with Ruggs it's with Ruggs it's double-sided it's the football impact, which is significant, and it's also the emotional in the locker room impact, which is also significant. And so it's it, and like we see this a lot with interim head coaches, like they're very consistent in betting. Uh, like if y'all if y'all ever want to take, take them in the betting market, interim coaches almost always win the first game. Like this year, the Raiders when they played the Broncos, that was the first game after Gruden got fired. And last year, another example that comes to mind when Romeo Crennel took over for Bill O'Brien, the Texans like beat the Jaguars. Like it happens. It, this happens a lot where like the first game at, with the interim head coach, there's a lot of excitement. The team wins. But then over the course of the season, they just start to play a little worse and worse and worse. And it's not a knock on Basachi. I don't I, I don't think we'll have any way of knowing whether he's a good coach or not. I just think it's really, really, really hard to to do this. So it just seems like the Raiders are in a free fall. That doesn't mean they'll lose every game. They'll probably finish eight, and nine or nine, and eight or seven and ten or something. But um yeah, it's a that. But to your credit, like that—that's what makes it hard to kind of understand the Bengals, also. So, yeah, it's confusing. It, that's kind of the fun of this season. No one really knows who is good and who is reliable on a weekly basis. That's what makes it fun. Can, can I be honest with you? I know for years I'm used to the Patriots dominating, but I honestly love the parody this year. Where yes. look, you know, like the top tier teams were going to be there. Like even though they lost yesterday, um, even though they lost yesterday, the Titans are going to be there in the mix. We know the Ravens are going to be in the mix. In the NFC, you know who I'm, I'm, I'm here right now saying, I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to get coach of the year this year. Uh, the Cardinals are going to be there. The Packers are going to be there, even though they lost yesterday. Like You know the teams that are going to be at the top, but it's really filling out that couple divisions and then the wild cards that we're not going to know until week 18, I feel like, for a lot of these games. So that's why week 18 this year is going to be so significant, and especially to this, this home stretch is going to be a playoff-esque game for a lot of these teams. Yes, it will be very, very significant. I agree on Cliff. And look, I mean, I, I got nothing to say on Cliff. I know I've been critical of him on the show many times, but it's been a great season. There's no other way to say it. He's had a fantastic season. And uh, I, I wouldn't rule out Vrabel. Like, if the Titans, like, I, not not to go too far ahead, I'm sure, like, this will come up later, but, like, the, the Titans this week, they're big underdogs to the Patriots. And I am getting a little bit of a vibe, like, when they were underdogs to the Rams, and to the Chiefs, and to the Bills, it's like, okay, you won, but, like, we still don't really believe it. If the Titans were to win again and, like, get the one seed, I think Vrabel's got a shot at Coach of the Year, too, uh, because 
of the no, no Derrick Henry thing. Losing to the Texans is terrible, obviously, but I wouldn't rule him out just yet, especially since the Cardinals, we don't yet know for sure if the Cardinals are going to win the division. I mean, they're, they're obviously the favorites, but the Rams are only one back in the loss column. So I'm not ready to quite like give them the trophy just yet. And if they don't win the division, I think it might be hard for Cliff. Um, whereas I think Vrabel, even though he's no guarantee to win his division either, they've at least clinched the tiebreaker over the Colts, which the Rams, which the Cardinals have not yet done over the Rams. So that's how I would say. It. I'll say this with uh, I think Vrabel could have the division locked up unless they fall like they fall literally off, no pun intended off a cliff. Yeah. But um, I only say of no pun intended because obviously we we're talking about Cliff Kingsbury just now. Yeah. But I still think that the um, Titans are going to win their division solely based off the fact that they do um, they did go zero and two against the. Uh, 0 and 2 again. They did. They didn't go 0 and 2. They swept the Colts. That is the reason why I think they'll win the division. Unless the Colts win out from here, but I still feel like the Colts are going to be that team that could find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. And at the same time, too, though, I do have to say there is one team right now who does concern, who I think could actually make a legitimate run if they're healthy. That's San Francisco. They're playing yeah. really. I know I've been critical of Kyle Shanahan lately, but when yeah. he has them on and clicking, they click. Yeah, I, uh, I I hate it. Drives me. It's it's bad. It's not good for me because obviously we have San Francisco's pick, so we're hoping that they go in the tank. But I I mean we can. I think most Dolphin fans objectively recognize that they're playing well. They're clicking really well. They're they're like like we talked about with the Patriots. Like beating any team by two touchdowns is impressive. I don't care who it is. Like it is impressive to dominate a team um, because it's just so hard to do in the NFL. So. Uh, I, I do think they've been playing well. They've been playing impressively. And I think they got a lot of criticism, like, for losing to Colt McCoy. And I think we just kind of realized, okay, maybe we shouldn't punish them as much for that. The Seahawks also lost to Colt McCoy. And the Cardinals maybe are just a really good team. And we need to start accepting that. So I think that punishment that they got in the media for losing that game at home to Colt McCoy, I think, can be forgiven a little bit. And I think that they are in very, very, very – oh, Wow. That's a hell of a run by Rojo. Uh, Leonard Fournette, fantasy owners, punching air right now. Oh, yeah. He's not. <laughs> Lenny just saw. Man, now Rojo's going to get a few more carries. Good by the O-line, too. The O-line held up on the edge. But still, that was a really nice run. Uh, yeah, so I, I think the Niners are impressive. They can go on a run. Um, they're just – they're a really tough team to figure out because they're really good as underdogs and really bad as favorites. So they got to start – like. They took care of business against the Jaguars. They took care of business against the Bears. But they got to start doing that a little more consistently and not like don't lose to the Seahawks when you play them again. You know, like like don't lose those games. So we'll see with them. But th they're in the hunt. There's no doubt about it. This and Vikings, kind of an interesting game, kind of a quasi maybe playoff eliminator because not, mathematically, whoever loses won't be out of it. But one team will have the tiebreaker over the other. So that should be interesting to watch. You know what? I know Sunday there's this Packers-Rams game, but I'm honestly more intrigued by uh, by the Vikings-Niners game because with both teams, like, look, we don't know what we're going to get. And I only say I have a feeling about San Francisco because, and Mike Florio points this out often, there's always a team that right around Thanksgiving that's hovering around 500 that, you know, kind of figures it out, kind of starts getting everything into gear and makes so that's when they make a run to the playoffs or potentially a deep run to the playoffs. So I feel like whoever wins this game Sunday – because both of them, I believe, are at 5-5 five and five right now. You go to – that's why I was saying this with the uh, Pats after they beat the Panthers. I was like, okay, cool. They went to 5-4 and four after that game. They were 5-5 five and five after Cleveland. It wasn't as bad to say they lost to Carolina, and they were staring at 4-6. and six. 
But with our uh, four and five, basically, look, being 500 looks a lot better than under 500. With this game right here, look, six and five is going to be a hell of a lot better than five and six. Because with five and six, you effectively can only afford to lose maybe one more game, maybe two. Yeah, you, you don't have much margin for error, even though, like, you know, probably in today's NFL, you know, 10 and 7 is the new 10 and 6. So, like, seven losses can be, like, the the cutoff. But we saw last year with the Bears, they went 8 and 8 and made the playoffs. And I can definitely see 9 and 8 being the new playoff cutoff line moving forward. So it does open up more possibilities. But, yeah, like, the, there, one thing is clear, though, based on everything you were saying about Thanksgiving and, you know, Bel- Belichick for years, you know, the, the league, the season doesn't really start until Thanksgiving. There, there's no more time. It's like, this is it. Like, you have to figure it out this week, next week, or you're done. Because now this is when things get serious, and you just can't afford to take many more losses right now. Exactly. And, like, with – and uh, with, and uh, what was I going to say? Because with Thanksgiving, the, obviously, look, the first game, there's no more playoff implications there. Both teams clearly suck. And unless we get – I'm going to say this right now, folks. And I know I've been off for gambling this year, but if Tim Boyle and Andy Dalton are the starting quarterbacks, please take the under – <laughs> that's that seems like a safe bet. Like, I think it's at like forty one and a half right now. I'm like, I know that's really low, but I'm just like, I just can't see it hitting. Like the way, yeah. even the way both looked yesterday. But um, and you you and have that, you have uh, what's his name, Jordan Schultz, reported today that the Bears players have officially given up on Nagy as well. So that that's also something that probably helps the under. Exactly. Like I've seen, I've seen reports too. Where Bears fans are literally just over it. They want him fired. Like Nagy's going to be that firing. Cause I'll, I'll always remember this. It was 2018 regular season. The Patriots were playing the Jets and blowing them out, and it was Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts calling the game, and they're saying like, "Oh, you know, Todd Bowles on his way out." I know you and I have both been very critical of Todd Bowles as a Jet because he was very conservative with his play calling, but they weren't even pretending like, "Oh, hey, yeah, you know, he may get fired. He may not get fired." No, that Week 17 game, I believe they played the Vikings. The entire time it's going to be like, all right, you know, that plan, I'm not sure where the game is. Um, that plan around home is going to be like super uncomfortable for Matt Nagy and all this stuff in there. And I'm like, we know it's coming. It's just like, yeah. it's that, you know, that Band-Aid you just got to rip off. That's literally going to be that Matt Nagy's firing. Yeah, and they haven't, like I, I saw a report, they haven't, they've never fired a coach midseason in the 101 his, year history of the Bears. So, but it, it is, yeah, it's like, it feels like the franchise is just stuck until that decision is made. It's like, okay, just do it, do it, and then we can all move on, you know? Like, that's what it's going to take. Exactly. Like, even, too, when there was a nice run by John Ross there. Um, With the Bears, too, because I feel like Ryan Pace may have a little bit of leeway because he does have the first – the two first-round picks. But at the same time, too, if they want to clean house and get rid of both, look, you you can attract any general manager in the world by saying, hey, you have two first-round picks for next year. It's like no – there's like no fucking around because obviously we know that the Bears' first round pick is going to be something. Uh, it's clear PI. Um, oh my lord! Yeah, that's clear pass interference. <laughs> Tony, like Tony, took like a legit drop back on that play. <laughs> like, you know, but he bombed it. But I love too how they're trying to argue offensive oh, offensive pass interference there. Like, no, Murphy Bunting was draped all over him. Like. That's a second. That's a second flag tonight. Unless I, I think they called it off. Yeah, they didn't call pass interference, so they took the flag back. You got to call it on someone. It's not like no call is an option. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I think it's Craig Worlstrat's calling the game, and he took it. He took the flag back. I, I know I, that's a bit of a spoiler, but still, um, uh, it's all good. It's all good. 
Yeah, but um, going back to what we said before, yeah, but with the whole Bears thing, it's like even look, you're there's a good chance both draft picks are in the top ten. There's a very good chance. So you have a chance to, you know what, you have Justin Fields, you can go out there, get an offensive lineman. I personally like Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa, and then there's also um, some defensive linemen you can get. You can add another receiver. Like the, the the Bears have options going forward, and then the stadium stuff hopefully can figure itself out over the course of the next few years. Yeah, and the ownership, you know, situation has to figure itself out. They've got they've they got they've got a bright future, and I think. When, when he was drafted, there were some people that were worried, well, maybe they don't want to break up Fields and Nagy. Maybe they want to keep them together so that Fields doesn't regress. But it's just it gets to a point eventually where it's just like so clear that like the team is not going to make a deep run with Nagy that you kind of have to get over it in the short term for the long term. Because it's not like you're giving Fields a one-year audition. If, you, if Fields was like in the last year of his contract or something, I can understand. Like Fields is under contract for several more years, even if he like is slow in year two. That's fine. This is a long term investment, and there's absolutely no shame in that. So, exactly, it's not like it's in Cleveland right now where yeah he's in his fourth season. And they're trying to figure out the whole uh, Baker Mayfield situation. It's literally they're they have time. They're going to develop. I still think with the ownership situation with the Bears and. Uh, I don't know how much Barstool you listen to, but uh, Barstool Big Cat said this on part of my taste that he's a noted Bears fan. I think the family is just waiting for Virginia McCaskey to pass away at this point, and then they'll sell the yeah. team. And eventually, because with the thing with the Raiders and the and even too, because this is brought up with the Raiders, um, those two teams aren't exactly run by like guys who have money. Like for example, like I don't know if you've seen, but the richest owner in sport in the NFL right now is David Tepper. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just gonna go back to my point of it being that these families are to pay off all the estate fees and all this other stuff. Like, for example, I think Mark Davis is probably going to have to sell. I think it was, there was a report he may have to sell a team after his mom passes away. So, you know, he can make the money back. Um, so with the Raiders and the Bears, like I said, where it's all these mom and pop shop organizations, this is what they have. Like even too, you could put the Chicago, uh, not Chicago, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in that category because the Rooney family, but I still think that is the Steelers. That's always the Rooney family is always going to be ownership. Like that's never going to change. But with the McCaskey family and them, obviously that's the main subject right now. I think it's like Virginia passes away. Someone may, her son, I think it's her son, will take over ownership after a little bit. And then they'll try to sell the team and get a good living. Because obviously they want that big stadium. I think the NFL wants them in a domed stadium too, so they can become a Super Bowl city. Yeah. And uh, I think another example of this is the Broncos to some degree. Like I know the Bolin family are going through a lot of their issues with their issues with. Yeah, with ownership and with managing an estate and everything like that. So, you know, that that's also part of it. Um, yeah. I, I've read into that one. I'm not trying to cut you off, but I know the Bolin family, like the dad, obviously, I think it was, I think it was Alzheimer's or dementia he had, and he just got really sick. Um, eventually, he gave over his ownership. I know, I think John Elway has some stake in it. I don't know how much. Yeah, I know John Elway's got some. There's Joe Ellis involved. And then with the kids, I think there's like six or seven of them. They just can't figure out who is going to take the reins. So I think eventually that's another situation where you're going to see the Denver Broncos go up for sale. Yeah, and ownership transfers are complicated uh, because, uh, like, you brought up Tepper, like, from an income perspective. But, like, one of the reasons, like, Tepper, Tepper, we always always know that, like, well, when when you get a new GM – GM's going to want the new head coach. And like right now in college football, my home team, the Canes, 
they fired their athletic director and everyone kind of knows whether it's this year or next year, the new athletic director is going to want his own guy. I think we underestimate how that relates to owners as well. Cause like David Tepper, by all accounts, it's not that he didn't like Ron Rivera, but like he wanted to make his imprint on the franchise. He wanted to like kind of remake the coach in the front office in his image. And that's part of the reason why they very quickly went on to Matt Rule and Scott Fritterer instead of Rivera and Marty Herney. So I think we underestimate how that can matter. So with the Bears, with the Bron- with all these teams with possible ownership change, it, it does like raise questions about if there's an established head coach there, could they be on the hot seat sooner than they might think because the new ownership might want to make their own image because you don't know who's getting the team. So exactly. And if the underlying message of that is Fig Van Joe getting fired in January, my answer still is going to be yes, unless they make the playoffs. And that's another thing too. They uh, did some work today. They locked up Tim Patrick last week today. Cortland Sun, I think I had $60 million in guaranteed money. Um, I think it's a 90, I think it's a $90 million contract over the next four or five years. Look, Denver's really lined up to be – I know they got rid of Von Miller, but that was to get – like, look, that was actually – more you think about it, it's maybe a smarter move because he's in the last year of his deal that frees up a lot of money. Denver's going to be in the running for one of these big-name quarterbacks because next year the quarterback carousel is going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's – it's the, the the guys like Rodgers, guys like Russell Wilson, guys like Deshaun Watson, you know, like even even Jimmy G, for example, like, could possibly be someone that comes available. Like this is gonna, this is gonna be interesting uh, because like if you don't have your guy or if you don't have a quarterback in the first or second year of his contract, like you're gonna want to get in on that. Though you, we don't we don't see this very often. You don't see three Hall of Famers in one free agency period. At most, we usually see one or two, and usually it's just one or zero. So I think this is interesting. I'm I'm actually like genuinely curious to see how this goes. I'm the same way, and also I've been saying this too since last summer, but the biggest free agent isn't even a quarterback. It still is going to be Devontae Adams. Uh, yeah, yeah, unless 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 Rodgers and the Packers can have a marriage. And if they have a marriage, I think Devontae will just stay in Green Bay. But presume, p- presuming that doesn't happen based on everything we've seen, well, you, I mean, who knows? Like, if they end up winning the Super Bowl, like, I don't know, maybe – Maybe that's enough to get people to just get over themselves a little bit. But, like, I would have to see it to believe it first, for sure. I'm, I'm the same way, too. I think so as well. But um, um, the free agency is going to be exciting. Obviously, it's still a few months away. We're going to be here. I'm probably going to we'll be here that Wednesday night, probably again, like we did last year, where you broke the Kyle Noy news on the podcast, um, well, at least to me and Phil. But uh, we'll do something <laughs> like that again. But you know what? That's not, that's not right now. I want to focus on the season. And – I want to play, not a game, but I want to ask you about a couple teams to see what the level of concern is. And I'm going to start off the first one, because it's obviously the division, but the Buffalo Bills. So if I, had to, if I had to put a number on it from 1 to 10 level of concern for their, like, I guess it's, I guess I'll, I'll adjust it per team. Because for some teams that just want to make the playoffs, like, yeah, I think the Bills can still make the playoffs. Now, their bigger goals of, you know, winning the Super Bowl, getting to the Super Bowl, winning the AFC and all that stuff. Yeah, I put my level of concern at like a seven because it's kind of like on both sides of the ball. One one constant theme, as good as their defense has been, and their defense has been awesome, but their defense has also gotten destroyed by big physical running games when the Titans beat them up with Derrick Henry and the Colts just beat them up with Jonathan Taylor. And they might have to see those teams again down the line. So that is a level of concern on defense. Even though I trust their pass defense, their run defense is concerning. And their pass defense 
Like, there's a lot of defenses in the NFL like this. They're great at destroying bad quarterbacks. Like, they humiliated Davis Mills. They humiliated Mike White. They humiliated Jacoby Brissett when the Dolphins played them early on. But when you play Patrick Mahomes, when you play uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, when you play, God, why are there so many, like, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, or even Wentz to a lesser degree, even though Wentz didn't have his best game against them, uh, or the Patriots offense, which I just trust to be really efficient against them, I don't know if they're going to have the four turnovers over performance they've had in the past and their offense is legitimately concerning there's uh no other way to say it josh allen has what six interceptions in his last four games something like that they he looks more like 2000 look i'm not going to say like that he sucks now or anything like that no 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 that's overreactionary but i think what is fair to say is he looks a little more like 2019 josh allen not rookie or josh allen but 2019 josh allen had 25 touchdowns and 10 interceptions or nine interceptions that's kind of what, what it's looking like right now with this team. And 2019 Josh Allen with that defense, I'm not sure if that's going to be enough. So we'll see. It, it, my, my, my whole thing with the uh, Josh Allen look, like, I, like I'm in the same boat as you. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? Yes. Do I th- they, they still have a chance to win the division? Yes. So obviously the Patriots are in first place right now. I'm not going to be out here, you know. Entering the room like that gif of Woody from Toy Story, you know, he's like walking in the bar like I'm the new sheriff in town. I'm, I, yeah, we're that for right now. But are the Patriots going to win the division? I don't know. Are the Bills going to win the division? I don't know. I think it's anyone's game, unlike last year when we all knew it was going to be the Bills division. Yeah. My, my bigger concern with you is, right, is how far into January can you go? Part of me still thinks that they're that team you know that last year they had this great season and then they're just trying to replicate it again where I feel like they think – look, we're going to get there and everything's going to be fine, no problems. You know, like how every year everyone pictures the Dallas Cowboys where it's like, you know, every year it's, hey, you know what, this is the year. Like, we and boys, all that stuff. But then when they win, everyone's on them. But when they lose, everyone's on them that doesn't like them. And that's me with the Bills. Because, look, the Bills, it's not the fact that they've lost some games, but it's a fact, too, that, like, they've lost the Jacks. They only put up six points against the Jaguars. It's not like it was a shootout. It was a 9-6 to six game. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I feel like, too, they're so Jekyll and Hyde how, like, obviously, and I've heard the narrative from Bills fans where it's like that Josh Allen doesn't lose back-to-back, which if, if I would, would I be shocked if they won this Thursday. Absolutely not. They're playing the same team that's pretty depleted right now. But with the Bills as a whole, it's just for me, I want to figure out what you are because with a team like the Bills, it's not, hey – like I said before, not how far are you – can you go in – it's how far can you go to January. Are you going to be in Los Angeles come February 13th? And if you had asked me that right now, I'd probably say no. And also another team I'm, I'm still going to say no on because – but even though I think it's going to happen is Kansas City. I just think, look, they've won a couple of games, but at the same time, too, the Raiders win was great. But at the same time, too, if you look at their wins on this win streak, they only beat the um, – they, they beat Daniel Jones by three. They beat Jordan Love by six. Yeah. And yesterday they beat a fairly depleted Dallas Cowboy team. So we'll see what happens. But at the same time, too, I want to see the um, the Chiefs actually have a game December 16th on Thursday Night Football against the Chargers. That's the game where I'm like, okay, I want to see what you're made of. Yeah, because like it, it, kind of, it kind of got underplayed yesterday. A lot of people mentioned, oh, well, their defense is starting to play better, which it is. But it I is. think what was kind – but what was kind of lost in yesterday's discussion was people thought after the Raiders game, oh, okay, that offense is back. That offense that's going to destroy everyone, drop 40 every week. And yesterday their offense 
it kind of looked like more of the same. We just weren't really talking about it because the Cowboys offensively with injuries and against that defense kind of had their own problems. But it was very much like, like it wasn't like that often still did not look like the offense that we were used to last year. And I think we, we just didn't really talk about it because the defense played so well, but I think that is still kind of like hiding in plain sight with them a little bit. And so, yeah, with the bills, I put my concern at a seven, like in terms of making their deep run with the chiefs level of concern, making their deep run. It's a little bit different. I'd probably put that at like, I don't know, like a five, you know, I could see it going either way. I don't know whether or not this defensive turnaround is real for all the reasons you just said. Like, I don't know if I trust their defense in January, like to play like how it's been playing lately. Uh, the offense still to me seems a little inconsistent. Um, they're still kind of figuring out like how to, how to thrive and resume some of the strength they had last year, but I put it at a five. They're lucky. The AFC is not as is not, doesn't have that clear cut best team. Like it has in years past because they could kind of get away with these struggles and still sneak their way in. Whereas in prior years, I don't know if they'd be able to do that because there'd usually be other teams that would be, that would be able to pick them off. I'm the exact same way as you. I also have the exact same ratings when it comes to uh, uh, level of concern. I have a seven and I have a five. But like for the Chiefs, it's just because of Mahomes. Like, you know how everyone says every year, oh, it's Tom. But at the same time, too, I want to see the um, – for as well as they played the Raiders and the Vikings, and the Raiders, the Vikings, excuse me, the Cowboys, I want to see that defense come up against, like, you know, the Titans, the Bills, even the Patriots, the Ravens. I want to see how that defense looks against them. Because if you look at three of those teams, and even the Bills, that's four, that's 0 4. So that's why I'm like bookmarking that Charger game for December, which I think is going to go a long way to deciding to who's going to win the division. Because if you had to ask me right now with the AFC West, I'm going to say this. I think the rate. I think the Raiders are kind of falling out of it, you know, where it's like um, the Earth's kind of falling right before them as we know it. But um, and then with the char- and then with the uh, rate and then the Broncos, I think it's look. It's just it's not their year. I'm looking at the Broncos right now. The way I looked at the Patriots last year, you know, where I'm like, okay, they got a chance to, you know, what make some noise in the off season and then really impress me. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I'll take the L. I was I was high on Denver. Uh, I, I was high. I, it's not that I believed in Vic Fangio. I just thought that the roster was, was good enough to get them by like Teddy's, some of Teddy's advanced analytics are like really, really strong. Uh, and the defense, we all thought this defense would be like dominant and it's just not like for whatever reason, like the secondary is not as good as we thought the pass rush isn't as good as we thought. It's very, very weird. I, I, I was like pretty confident that a Vic Fon, that Vic Fangio would still definitely have like a top 10 defense. And that just never came even close to happening. So I agree with you. They're probably a year away. I think I was a little premature in declaring them a playoff team. But, hey, I mean, can they get to 9-8? and eight? Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, they're, they're, they're what, like 5-5 five and five right now? Like, I think it's, it's theoretically plausible with some of the teams they still have left on the schedule. So level of concern for them, I mean, making a Super Bowl run, it's like a 10. <laughs> but, but making the playoffs, I don't know, like 5 or 6, like they could. We'll see. They'll probably have to beat the Chargers, though. That's the thing. They're they're probably them and the Chargers are probably not both getting in, given that the AFC East is probably sending two playoff teams and the AFC North is probably sending three. So yeah. Um, that was my next question for you. As uh, that's not spoiling anything for you. Um, with the Broncos, I think they're going to be that team. You know how in years past with the Dolphins, like they win a game, but then the game where it's like, okay, now that you did this, you got to clear this hurdle. And then that hurdle is the one where you shoot yourself in the foot. I see that being the Denver Broncos this year. You know where it's like, hey, they're frisky. They're looking good. 
But I think, you know, I can think they can mess around and finish eight, nine, nine, and eight. I, I think it's possible. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna need tiebreakers because uh, remember they already they already lost to the Raiders in Denver, so that's gonna hurt them a little bit. But yeah, I, I definitely can see it at least within their range, you know. So the level of concern for them now, like for a team like Cleveland, who I'm sure you were gonna bring up soon, but like uh, that level of concern. That would be pretty high. Like the Super Bowl, it's like ten. Like I can't see that right now. Even making the playoffs, man. I mean, I'd put my concern at like an eight or a nine. Like they're the the Baker injury. It, look, let's be fair. He's hurt. Everyone knows he's hurt. But man, it is a struggle to watch him playing through this injury right now. It's getting to the level where they have to seriously consider. They have to seriously consider is a healthy Case Keenum better than an injured Baker Mayfield. And I'm not saying Case is better than Baker. I don't think he is. But you do have to start wondering if given Baker's injury, can they really beat like high-level teams with the way he's playing right now? Because it's just hurting the whole team. Um, I'm going to say this right now, and I've believed this for a bit. They, like you know how you said earlier, the Broncos have to beat the Chargers on Sunday? Yeah. The, so the Browns have this really wonky schedule. I think you guys were supposed to have it last year against the Jets, and then COVID kind of screwed that up. Yep. But yep. they literally have Ravens by Ravens. They sure. go 0-2 in that stretch. I think you kiss playoffs goodbye for them because I know they've uh, beaten the Bengals and they've beaten the uh, and they've beaten, they've beaten the Steelers, but at the same time, too, the Ravens is the team. Remember last year, the Ravens killed them week one, and then they lost that game, that, that, that epic Monday nighter week 14 last year. So in my opinion, especially to this rate, this also I can say this too, that Titans, Patriots, or even uh, Rams, Packers should have been the Sunday nighter this week and not Ravens and Browns. I feel like they should have flexed it. I feel like the NFL's been lazy with flexing. Obviously, before week 11, they were only allowed to do two games. But I feel like now you got to put the right games in the primetime slots. Like you just can't have anything. Like even, what's it called, coming up like next Monday night, we have the football team and the Seahawks. Like I'll still watch it, but I'm like, I'm not excited for it. Yeah, you would figure, like, especially, like, given how strong, like, some of the primetime games have been, like, you would figure that, like, teams would learn and adjust and understand, uh, like, and ne- I mean, not just team, but not teams, networks, Next, networks would understand, networks would adapt, networks would be more flexible on, on flexing, because it's good for them, it's better for them, and yeah, this, I agree with you that Browns need to win, this is so strange, like, we've seen, you're right, the Dolphins and Jets were supposed to do this last year, but COVID, COVID we were supposed to play the Chargers one week, the Chargers had like a COVID outbreak and they had to reschedule the Chargers game. And so there was like this complicated web. It was that same week where you guys where you guys were given an early bye week and then had to play Denver the very next week instead of later in the year or something like that. The, it was very similar to that where that caused like a three-way triangle where the Patriots, the Broncos, the Dolphins, and the, and the, and the Chargers all had their schedules rearranged. So the Jets game got moved earlier in the season. But it was initially supposed to be Dolphins-Jets two and three weeks with a bye week in the middle. This is, it is such a weird schedule. Like, I do not know why, I do not know why they do this. Like they play, they have a bye week and then they play again. It is so strange. Like for the Browns to face the same team, two straight games, you're playing the same team, but I mean, it just seems to me like the likely result is it's going to go one and one. Um, but the, Brown, the Browns can't lose this one though. Like they just can't, they can't lose the one at home. And the one in prime time too, because next week, and when two weeks, it's week one after. Um, Also, I just got an alert right now. There is an NBA game going on right now between the Bucks and the Magic. The current score is ninety-four to forty-eight 
for the Bucks. They scored 44 in the second quarter. I just wanted to, I saw that and I'm like, I got to update you. That's just, that's like playing 2K. 94 to 48? Jesus. Uh, 94 to 48, Bucks over the Magic. My Lord, I've never seen something like that before. That's crazy. And the Pacers are up on the Bulls 85 to 56. So that's that. I saw, I, I saw that along with Seth Rollins getting attacked on the barricade by a fan tonight. So, Wait, so, Seth Rollins got attacked by, by a fan? Go on Twitter. Oh, my Lord. That's incredible. Well, that's sad, obviously. Like, I don't mean to – like, the, the, it's like when Bret Hart got tackled at the Hall of Fame. Like, that's terrible. I, don't, I never want to see an old man get mugged. It's just, like, funny that, like, something that crazy and that stupid can happen. That's all. I'm not saying shit. I'm going to be silent for a few minutes. So we'll talk about the pod. I'm going to vamp until Big Rat sees what I just saw. But, um, yeah, no, it's sad. And all, ironically, too, it's the same venue. They're at the Barclays Center tonight. Um, Man, by the way, the, Gi- the Giants were playing with fire there. I have no idea what the hell they were doing. Like, Did you, did you see what happened? The <laughs> multiple fumbles? Yeah, what, why, but like, why on your own three-yard line with 46 seconds left? Like, you start with the ball. Oh my god! They were they were begging for like a sack fumble or something like that to happen. Those fuckers want us to like they're like Griffin Big Right. You must suffer. Like no, you're. It's a isn't it a game? No, they're up by seven. They're up by seven, and the Giants start with the ball. So we're looking good. We're up four right now. We're looking okay. Oh my god! What? So the Seth Rollins got jumped by. I I I, I wish I shouldn't talk about this. It's not. It's not irrelevant. Uh, it's, it's not. I just saw. I literally saw it on Twitter as well. Like I like. I like obviously scroll Twitter when the podcast and just see something breaks or whatever. But we'll see what happens. But um, back to football. <laughs> Holy oh, shit! He he fucking speared him. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my lord! <laughs> he took him down to the ground. Okay. Yes, that's horrible. People, you should not jump the barricade. You should not do all those things. It's just. It's a. I don't know. It's occasionally funny thing. That's all. My bad. Yeah. Also, the other thing I'm going to say about this game right now is the American outfits by the cheerleaders are hella distracting on the sidelines. Like, obviously, I'm not saying that just because they're girls. Like, the fact that, like, they're wearing these, um, uh, what's it called? That they're wearing, like, these bright, like, red, white, and blue uniforms. I know it's probably the salute service game, but just, like, it's a bit of a distraction on the sideline. Um, <laughs> next up, too, as I'm looking at the insider updates, like, I still can't believe this Taysom four-year contract, like... It, it's really weird to where it's like uh, between forty and ninety, depending on his position. Yeah, a lot of it's locked up in the signing bonus. So, like Mickey Loomis, I think he ha- has a plan, and I, that's all I have to say about that. As they go to the Cowboys right here, I love it how it's C.D. Lamb in concussion protocol, but he could play on Thursday. I'm like, no, no, don't do not play C.D. Lamb on Thursday. I think that's a game you can win with Michael Gallup and like I think he's a tight end, but like Noah Brown or even Cedric Wilson. So. If you have those guys, you know, streamline them for Thursday. Yeah, I'm I, for and for those by the way who are interested, uh, D, D, Thursday DFS is my favorite DFS day of the year. Thanksgiving DFS is a lot of fun. If you've never played it before, I highly recommend it. So you can create a lineup. People think it's too cumbersome to create a lineup for 12 games on a Sunday, which I understand. And people don't like doing the lineup for just one game because anything can happen. It's random. Thanksgiving DFS is this nice middle ground where there's three games. So you have to do a little bit of research, but it's not overwhelming. It's just three games to look into. And it just makes the day like a lot of fun. Like I personally really enjoy it. I always, one of my favorite football memories of all time is two years ago, 
I played Jesper Horstead as my tight end for the Bears. And he scored he, – he had one catch. It was a touchdown catch from Mitch Trubisky in the David Blau game. And his one catch for six points, I was the happiest I was the entire day on a day of Thanksgiving. So by all means, highly recommend it if you've never played it before. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You can do like a $5 lineup, a $3 lineup, like a $1 lineup. But I, I recommend it. It's a good time for anyone out there who's never tried DFS before. This Thursday is the day to do it. You know what? I might get into it for this Thursday because obviously I'm going to be betting this Thursday. I have my picks cooking up. I'm going to finalize them with, especially with this Dallas injury news, but I'll finalize them Thursday morning. Um, obviously, my Thanksgiving is coming on, but uh, because I know, look, I did it last year. I'm doing it again this year. I took the day off work so I could stay home and watch the games. My, no, sue me. I, I've said it publicly on here before. I'm sure man, my supervisor is bound to find out, and I'd be like, look, are you gonna like would you rather me be at work on my phone watching the game the entire day or would you rather me take the day off and be at home so i'm not a distraction to everyone (laughs) (laughs) oh man i'm I'm sorry that you have that work conflict hopefully hopefully things resolve themselves okay no that's fine i booked the day off and i'm uh, good to go so i will be off for uh, i'm off thursday so i literally just i'm just gonna be staying home watching the game and stuff Oh, so you're good. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah no, but that game. I, I, I misheard how you were presenting it initially. Never mind. Oh, my bad. No, but two years ago, um, I left early because I was like, look, right, I was like Lions, Bears. I could afford to miss it. And then it was Bills, Cowboys. And then I want to say Saints, Falcons was the nightcap. So yeah. I was like, you know what? I could afford to miss it. But then the David Blau game ended up being close. Hell, I, I think we all thought David Blau was going to win that game. Um, yeah. He had the game. He had a game-winning drive opportunity. They were down by like, uh, they were down by like either seven or eight points, and he was like in the red zone. Like it was, it was legitimately dramatic. Exactly. And one thing I'm going to say with this game right here, um, with Lions Bears this coming Thursday, do we think that there's a? Ch- what was I going to say? Do we see a chance that the Lions actually getting the win in this game, or do we think the Bears are going to? F- like I still. F- feel like this is a game where the Bears get an ugly win, like you know, uh, a low-scoring I, ugly win. It de- it definitely like it definitely presents an opportunity for the Lions. There's no doubt about that. Um, and that and that and like for everyone who's compl- I mean, rightfully, a lot of people are complaining about this game on the Thanksgiving slate. Uh, look, everyone, just remember, last year we got Lions Texans and we got football team Cowboys, and we didn't get the night game. It was moved to the next week because because Lamar Jackson got COVID and the Ravens have a COVID problem. So so this slate is an upgrade over last year, if nothing else. And I think if the Lions were to get their first win, that would kind of add some juice to the day. It would be fun. It would be exciting. Dan Campbell would give a very emotional post-game press conference while being interviewed. It, it would add some juice to the day if the Lions got the win. But I'm not quite there yet. Um, I agree with you kind of on the Bears. The one thing to watch out for, though, is what if this Bears team quits? Like we saw, remember last year, the Lions-Texans game? The Lions quit. They got destroyed by a bad Texans team. And then, like, I think a few days later is when Matt Patricia finally got Two fired. days. Yeah, two days later is when Matt Patricia finally got fired. So I'm with you that Maggie probably won't go until the end of the season, um, and especially since the Bears have never fired a coach midseason in their franchise history. But I think it's at least worth considering if they lose this game, they're 3-8. and eight. That would basically make the, a playoff run borderline impossible at that point. They would still have another game against the Packers in Lambeau and two games against the Vikings. So that would make a playoff run borderline impossible if they go th- if they're 3-8. and eight. And if the players quit and they lose, like, by 10 points to the Lions, that's the kind of game you get fired over. And I think that's certainly on the table. I'm not quite ready to predict it. I might go, like, a 20-13 to 13 boring thing, like you were saying yourself. So, 
that's where I'm leaning to with the score. Like I said, folks, you'll see my official scores. I don't know if you're on Instagram, Big Rap, but I usually post it there. And then yeah. also, too, guys, I'm on I'm on Book of Sports as well, guys. So download the Book of Sports app for all your betting needs. Basically, Big Rap, I don't know if you heard the recent podcast, but I had the founder of it on. But uh, it's basically like social media for sports betting. And you can post all your picks there. You can see what other people are picking and kind of like pick knowledge for there. So it's got like portions of like Reddit, Twitter, Discord, et cetera. But yeah. it's all catered on sports betting. It's a very fun app. Yeah, um, no, I know that. Sounds really cool. Yeah. But um, no, with this game, look, I, I see low scoring and ugly just because I know it's indoors. But I just, especially if it's if we're getting Andy Dalton versus uh, it, Tim. Uh, Tim Boyle. Yeah, Tim. Uh, I, what was his last name again? Boyle. Boyle. Tim Boyle. If we're getting uh, Tim, I think I said Blau for a second. So yeah. if we're getting Tim Boyle versus Andy Dalton, like it's just not there. And then with the uh, and then with the Thanksgiving Day game, uh, the second one, um, if the I, I feel like the Cowboys are going to bounce back and win, but at the same time too, I feel like. Look, the Cowboys in recent years on Thanksgiving have let down a lot. Like, they had the game against the Bills where Jerry Jones was spotted yelling outside of the locker room afterwards as a game where the Chargers killed them. And then last year, too, where Antonio Gibson really had his coming out party on national TV. So we'll see what happens there. But if I had to lean for this one, I say I think Cowboys close. I feel like the, the offense will be more a little bit alive, especially too because the Raider defense is so hit or miss. I feel like this is a game that could be a – I think the over right now is at 50.5 or 51. So I feel like this week I think the over does hit for the Cowboys. So I would have to say like a 27 to – I don't know, 24 kind of game, you know, right around there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I kind of feel the same. Uh, Cowboys 5-7 and seven against the spread in their last 12 Thanksgiving games. Uh, so this is usually a spot where they disappoint. I, I will say – you know, 2017, 2019, 2020. Those are also, you know, the seasons where the Cowboys themselves weren't playing very well, where like none of those years they made the playoffs. Whereas this year, it seems like at least we never say for sure. It seems like they have a playoff team on their hands right now. So I would trust them, but I do think the injuries are concerning. I don't know if Amari Cooper is going to be back. It looks like it's never been outright said, but all the evidence seems to point that he was unvaccinated. Um, based on like him needing 10 days, like and the multiple negative tests. Uh, so I don't know if he's going to be back. I read today that CeeDee Lamb is back in the practice facility. So it is possible that CeeDee Lamb could come back for this one. It is a concussion, though. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all with a short week if he doesn't get cleared in time. And if CD and, and Amari don't play, then, yeah, like, I don't know if the Cowboys can just score 40 points like they did against the Falcons. It might, it might, it'll be better than it was against the Chiefs. They'll be at home. They'll be against the worst defense right now, which is crazy to think now relative to a few weeks back. But it seems that way, at least, that the Chiefs have a better defense than the Raiders right now. And they'll play better. The running backs will play better. Dalton Schultz will, will play better. Cedric Wilson, who I like, will get more involved. So I think, like, the Raiders, even though we, we all agree it's the second-half collapse, they have an interim head coach, the Henry Rugg situation, while that is true, that doesn't mean they're just going to get their ass kicked every week. Like, they're going to win some games. They're going to play tough in some games. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, this Raiders team, they have a lot of guys that have a lot of pride. Maybe they put up a fight, like their last hoorah kind of thing, and they lose like 27-23, and then they lose their next game by like 14 points or something. So I, I, Raiders cover, Cowboys. I like that. I like that. I think it's like seven, I think it's like a seven or a seven and a half point cover right now for the Cowboys. So I honestly think that, you know what, I love that. I think 
Cowboys win, Raiders cover. I love that. And then the nightcap, Bills versus Saints. I see a similar situation, to be honest. I feel like this is a game, you know, where the Saints, like, they kind of keep it close. But I feel like the Bills, you know, have just that little extra oomph to, like, come back and win. And like I said before, and also I'm going to say this selfishly, I want the Bills being fucking confident after this weekend. Yes. I want them confident. And I want you have no idea how badly I want to win that game in two weeks. <laughs> I, to, go I, into, to go into Buffalo, I would sacrifice a Gillette Stadium L for yeah, the Patriots to win on Monday Night Football in Buffalo because I know it would piss Bills Mafia the fuck off. There might, the, the team might get booed like to end the game, like if, if if they were to lose that game. That's what would make it fun. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. This this game actually, in a weird way, like what what was the stat that like all six Thanksgiving teams went 0 and six on Sunday, like with like a negative 70 point differential? Oh but, shit! Yeah, they all lost. Yeah, they all they all six of them lost, and they lost by a combined 72 points. <laughs> but and none of them were really close. Well, I guess Detroit, uh, Detroit and Chicago were, but like Dallas wasn't, New Orleans wasn't, Buffalo wasn't, and Vegas wasn't. Vegas wasn't. Yeah. So th- this. This it actually does kind of add something to this game because the Saints and the Bills both really need this win. Like neither can really afford to take another loss. The Saints for their goal of making the playoffs, and the Bills for their goal about making a deep run. If you're six and five, still two games against the Patriots. Like man, like even if you make the playoffs, are you going to make the playoffs as the seventh seed and lose in the first round? That would be a disaster of the season for this team with all the expectations in the offseason and all the Super Bowl hype. So they cannot lose this game. The Saints can also not lose this game. The game's in New Orleans. So I think this is inter- I think both of them losing actually makes the game a little more interesting, knowing that both teams are going to be kind of playing with their season on the line a little bit. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. Bills win. I think they're a better team. Uh, the Bills defense, notoriously, for all the criticisms we gave them about Taylor and Henry ripping them up, doesn't seem like Alvin Kamara is going to play in this game. The Bills defense notoriously has beaten up on bad quarterbacks. So it seems like they're going to win. Um, I do think the Saints put up a fight at home in prime time on Thanksgiving Day. They were great on Thanksgiving Day against the Falcons two years ago. Even though Drew Brees calling that, the game. Yeah, and that, and that team, Drew Brees calling the game for Peyton. Uh, but, so I think Bills, Bills win, Saints cover. Sounds about right to me. Maybe Bills win by a field goal or Bills win by four points. Uh, but I will say, like, the Bills lose this game, what, we gave them a 7 for the concern of making a Super Bowl run? I, I'd raise it to, like, a 9 if they lose this game. Like, that's how much they cannot afford to lose this game. Oh, 100%. If they lose – if the Bills lose this game, like, it's going to be, you know, heaven falling down. Because everyone's saying still, like, right now, that the Bills are the most complete team in football. They're the biggest threats in the AFC. And I think if they lose either to the Saints or the Patriots, that's where you kind of go, okay, look – Shit getting real because I've been saying this and I'll still say this for as long as the Bills don't have a Super Bowl, the Patriots are still big brother to me because yeah. I still feel like the Patriots are always going to be that dragon that they're chasing that they're trying to seem better. And then this year, I know everyone went into it thinking, you know what, hey, the Bills are going to be good. The Patriots are, you know, taking a few down years, but then out of nowhere, we're like not so fast. Like we're we're right yeah. there in the mix. So we'll see what happens with the Patriots on the stretch. But for this game, give me. Hmm. Give me thirty-one to twenty-eight bills. Sounds about right. I'd probably go. Oh, I, I want to be different. I like that score, but I want to be different. So I'll say twenty-eight, twenty-four bills. Ooh, I like it. I think that still covers two. I think it's four and a half. Yeah. Um, the only other teams really with concern that I want to look at is the NFC North. Um, the 
Steelers right now, they're a zero to win the Super Bowl, in my opinion. But I still feel like the Steelers and the Bengals, like, I think for the well, Steelers, I think it's you got a lot to figure out. But with the Bengals, I just think it's, you know, give them maybe another year or two before they're seriously because I just think they have to be more consistent. Because for all we know, they go into, like, they, I think they're playing at home this week. They could lose, they lose to the, uh, they lose to the Steelers. But with them, like I said, okay, you beat the Ravens. But then you lose to the Jets, you lose to the Browns, then you do buy, but then you beat the Raiders. Yeah, it's not uh, it, the, people. People just don't really seem to trust them. Um, like, cause Zach, like some people like want to pick them to beat the Raiders because Zach Taylor is like it's something terrible. It's like four and twenty on the road. It's like something really, really bad. Uh, and the, you know, credit to them. Like we we shouldn't dis. I, I don't want to discount the win too much when some people thought they wouldn't win the game at all. But, yeah, I mean, beating the Raiders doesn't seem to be enough to override the concerns that they're kind of, like, you know, getting a little bit lucky in certain spots here and there. And it, people just don't really seem to trust them. Like, they don't trust them to just, like, be consistent every week. And I'll say it, I, my prediction, I think Steelers win. They tied the Lions. They lost on Sunday Night Football. They're currently out of the playoffs right now. Even though they're ahead of Cleveland, they're still out of the playoff hunt right now. They can if the Steelers lose this game, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. I just don't think they're going to, even though it's even though it's only five losses, it's five losses with a tie, and they have other hard games left. The Steelers still play the Ravens twice, so they just can't lose this game. You'll have gotten swept by the Bengals. You'll lose a tiebreaker to them in the division. In the you'll lose a tiebreaker to them in the wild card race if it comes to that. I don't think they can lose this game. They've historically been very good in this spot. They beat the Browns on the road when they were like three and a half point underdogs. They beat. The, they, I mean, they didn't beat the Chargers, but they had a lead in the fourth quarter and they covered when they didn't have TJ Watt or Minka Fitzpatrick or uh, Joe Hayden. Like, I think this is a tough team. They're used to playing with their backs against the wall. They're bad as favorites. I think they find a way and they win like 23-20. You know what? I, I, you know what? I, 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 you know, I agree with that. Um, I think the Bengals, look, it's like, well, the season don't trust them all. So they've had a really bad record off of the bye recently too as well. That's why, or they've gone – but there's a lot of teams where either they come off their buy and they're great, or they have a lot of teams they come off their buy and they're just they're just not that good. Like the Bucks, but, the Bucks yeah. lost to the football team off their buy. Yeah, yeah, and then all last year's definitely played the Vikings. Um, this is like I'm going to fall into a category for both teams where I'm like, are we sure they're good? Like, are, like, like where, like, who are you? Like, I think this is like a true identity finder game that's really going to help propel you either in the right direction or in the wrong direction for the Steelers and the Bengals come this Sunday. Um, I want to switch gears because I got to talk about this. And I have a question for you. Sure. I know we had a stellar game yesterday, and there's a very good chance he could win Offensive Player of the Year. But am I crazy to think that people? It's a little bit of a far-fetched stretch that Jonathan Taylor is a lock to win the MVP. Like I think he can win Offensive Player of the Year, but MVP, I'm still like I still feel like it's a quarterback award. Yeah, I just don't think I I, I understand that like the quarterbacks right now are kind of messy because. Usually, usually they give quarterback to the they, they give MVP usually to the quarterback on the one seed, right? But you look up the AFC, the NFC. The one seed is the Titans, and Tannehill has done nowhere near enough to win MVP. Oh, and the one, yesterday. And he was terrible. That was one, maybe the worst game of his career. Now I, I saw some people say the worst game of his Titans career. As someone who's watched him very closely, that might be the worst game of his career. Period, like Dolphins or Titans. And in the NFC, it's it's the Cardinals and it's Kyler Murray and. If Kyler wasn't hurt, like it was easy to see how he could have made a strong MVP case. But I think it's going to be really hard now because I think now with Kyler, it's not just that he missed three games. 
he missed three games and his backup went two and one without him. And I think whether fair or not, that's going to really hurt to make an MVP argument for him because how can you be MVP when you missed three games and the team was doing just fine? So I think, uh, I think uh, it's just messy. There's no quarterbacks that are really clear cut. Like Brady right now is the favorite, but just kind of by default, it's just because like people don't, the, the favorite probably would have been Dak Prescott if they, if he didn't play bad yesterday, it would have been Lamar Jackson if he didn't miss the game, but it's just kind of messy. All like, like Mac Jones isn't going to win MVP with all due respect. So. No, no, that was, that was a messy play there. I don't know why if you're the giants run it quarterback sneak, I know it's four and one. Like that's something that could literally screw us over for the spread. There, there, there's been a few times this game where Daniel Jones has gotten pressure in his face, and it's just kind of like airmail to throw, or short arm to throw, or one hop to throw. Like, it's it's I, happened several times. I also have a hot take with them. I, I think that they keep Daniel Jones past this year. I know that like you, um, and also my take with Taylor too is look, I think he's a great player, but I think that's just like the. I think I feel like the NFL this year with all the TV analysts, the takes are so week to week. I think it's just like look how one week one team's hot, one team's not. Jonathan Taylor, I think he's going to be in there. It's just I think, oh, all of, I, a, I, all of a sudden yeah. too. I think it's going to be whatever quarterback gets the one seed, unless it's like a really sloppy finish. But I just don't see that. I, I by the way, like I agree with you. Like I don't think he's going to win MVP. Like I should have I should have made that clear. I was just saying that I think. He's in the discussion because the quarterback race is so messy because there's no like every quarterback has like missed time or is the quarterbacks that haven't missed time that are on good teams. Yeah, like Tannehill and Josh Allen are great examples of that. Like they're not neither of them are going to win MVP. Like Aaron Rodgers is is having a much worse statistical season than he was last year, but he could have maybe gotten it if he didn't. But that whole vaccination thing. I think really fucked him. Like he missed that game. Now his numbers aren't going to be as good end of the year because he'll have one less game. And it just like, he came off so bad in the public eye. He might turn off voters from wanting to reward him. So yeah, it's either quarterbacks are hurt or they're inconsistent. That's why Brady is just kind of a default. Like, all right, he hasn't missed a game. His numbers are fine. The team is good enough. Why not? Like what? That was him in 2017. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, 2017 came to mind. Pey- Peyton Manning in 2008 is another good example of this. I'm just like, oh, well, there's no one else like, Let's just give it to him. Why not? Who cares? Well, so, but I, I will say I'm not ruling out Dak Prescott just yet. I know he missed the game, but I think his numbers are going to be great. I think they're going to go on a run. I think they're going to start to like really string some wins together. He still has a lot of NFC East games left. They still play. I believe they still play the football team twice. They play the Giants one more time and they play the Eagles one more time. And they have the Raiders on Thursday. So he's still going to play like some middling teams down the stretch. So I can easily see if he goes on a tear. And by, by the way, the Cowboys only have three losses. It's not like they're huge in the loss column. If the Cowboys finish with the two seed, for example, the two seed, I think, I think he would have a chance if he, if he has strong numbers down the stretch, but otherwise I think they're going to do, they're going to, if it's not Dak and it's not Lamar, I think they're going to do a boring default and give it to either Brady or like Patrick Mahomes, just because like there's literally no one else they can give it to. So they'll just give it to those two. One of those if- if Mahomes goes on a crazy run here and gets the Chiefs into either the first, second, or third seed, yeah, yeah, I think he's earned it. But if they stay stagnant and they end up in the fourth seed, you know, they win the NFC West, they just kind of do their thing. But, yeah, I feel like you could see a safe vote this year, kind of like how, you know, somehow a lot of the times everyone's saying, oh, you know what, LeBron should win MVP in NBA, or like how um, 
I well, I'm not gonna get into baseball because I don't not want to be ripped for takes here. But I feel I, I just think with the I know like what Shohei Shohei did this year is great, but I feel like for the fact that the Angels have four of the last eight American League MVPs, but one playoff appearance is that's yeah. like that's something I just don't like to see. I think to be an MVP, I think your team has to have made playoffs. That's that's just me for any sport though. But um, I can make the same argument for hockey, and I know you don't know much about it, but obviously there's one guy who just stands above the rest, and his team's also really good. Um, yeah. But uh, with football, though, no, I wouldn't be shocked if you see a really safe MVP this year. The one race, though, that I see could, could be very interesting, and I have a bit of a maybe biased take on this, is Defensive Player of the Year. I think there's a few guys who could get it. Yeah, there's uh, there's Miles Garrett, there's TJ Watt, there's uh, Trayvon Diggs, although... Trayvon Diggs is losing a little steam because, like, in that Broncos game, you know, in that Broncos game, that was their game plan. They attacked Trayvon Diggs in coverage. And it's, like, it's like interesting. Like, he makes game-changing interceptions on a weekly basis, but teams feel like they can attack him in coverage. So it's kind of strange for a defensive player of the year candidate, uh, even though he's no doubt been great. So I think it's going to be an, – and, and he's a Cowboy. Cowboys get more votes. We all know Dak is winning comeback player of the year. We all know Michael Parsons is winning defensive rookie of the year. Uh so it, it is an interesting race. I think personally, and I could be wrong here, my instinct is if Miles Garrett gets if Miles Garrett gets enough sacks, I think they'll give it to him. Um, now, you know, maybe Matt Judon can sneak in there. Matt Judon is is racking up sack numbers left and right. Uh, but that's my. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's my low key bias take is that Matt Judon's name is in there, but. Um, I still feel the same way last year with the defensive player of the year. I feel like it was a safe choice to give it to Aaron Donald when it should have been TJ Watt. Yeah. But that's, that was me. But no, I, that's what I was going to say was my take was, I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I think you should start, you know, putting his name in that category or even maybe JC Jackson too. But I still feel like with him, it's, he's got to play really consistent over these last, uh, over the last uh, six games of the year. Yeah, he's got a, like, and, like, it's also, you could run into this issue where JC and Judon are splitting votes, which also might, like, prevent either one from, like, getting enough to stand out, if that makes sense. Chandler Jones also deserves to have his name mentioned here, too. Oh, exactly. No, Chandler Jones does. Like, there's only, that's why I think Defensive Player of the Year is going to be a much more interesting race, because you have so many guys who not deserve it necessarily, but who make really good cases for it. Even, too, another guy I would make a pretty good case for is potentially a Derwin James in L.A., yeah, yeah, it, it, it could be a thing where they just try to reward, like, maybe the best player on the best defense, whoever that is. Like, and that could be, like, a bunch of different people. That's not just going to be one name. So, we'll see. I think with Miles Garrett, I'm going to say this. If he continues with his sack race and the Cleveland Browns somehow – and if the Cleveland Browns either get into the playoffs yeah. or, for some reason, win the division, then I think he's a lock to get it. But I think besides that, he could be an open season vote. Yeah, I think I could – if if Garrett or TJ, like, if, if the Browns or the Steelers, if only one of them makes the playoffs and their sack numbers are similar. And, look, by the way, people listening, I, I me and Griff both are well aware that sacks are not the only, like, representative value for defensive players. I'm just saying, ba- based on history, though, like, that's usually how voters award the award, whether it's fair or not. Um, so, yeah, I, I think if, one, if their sack numbers are borderline identical and only one of those teams make the playoffs – I think that person would probably get it. That's what it seems like. That it's either going to be Garrett or Watt as of right now. No problem. I, I completely understand. It. It's just I think sacks are looked on as the same way as like touchdowns. Where it's like, oh, touchdowns aren't the only stat, but no, but it's the one that matters the most, in my opinion. Or not even matters the most, but it's the one that the voters are going to look on and go. It's like, how do I say this? 
It's like when you present a new toy in front of a, an animal or a baby, you know, where it's like, oh, shiny object, shiny object, like dangling the keys. It's like, oh, touchdowns and sacks, touchdowns and sacks, you know? Yeah, the, the MVP almost always goes to whoever leads the league in touchdowns. Like, it's been that way for a little while now. So, like, yeah, like, again, doesn't mean we agree with it. That's just how they do it. That's how the voters do it. So, yeah, exactly. defense, defense play of the year, interesting race, no doubt. Yeah, and then I think coach of the year, too, could be an interesting race because I – I was even making the case that a guy like if Bill Belichick can get to the Patriots to the playoffs, I think he's someone who could get it. I think Cliff Kingsbury could get it. Um, it usually, I know, he, like Coach of the Year usually goes to a guy, a first year guy who really makes a big impact. And the only one that I've seen do that so far is Brandon Staley. Yeah, and usually, yeah, Brandon Staley usually meets the that criteria of like the new coach on a team that didn't make the playoffs the year before. Like that's a very popular coach of the year pick. Like that's how Matt Nagy got it. That's how Mike, Mike, Mike Smith for the, for the Falcons way back when, like back in 2008, like that's a very, very common thing. Give it to the head coach on the playoff, the first year head coach in the playoff team who didn't make it the year before. And uh, they don't. So Brandon Staley is really the only one that would qualify, but they would have to make the playoffs for that to come through. I think Cliff or Vrabel, if they one of them gets the one seeds, could do it. I think if the Saints would have got, I mean, it's probably too late now. But if the Saints would have done like a huge winning season, despite losing Jameis, despite losing all those guys, I think Sean Payton could have made an argument for it. But I think they might have lost too many games, especially since me and you both think they're going to lose on Thursday. So I think that's too much for him to overcome. But yeah, Belichick, maybe if they're the one seed, maybe finally this is when Belichick gets what should be his 20th coach of the year, but instead it's only his, like, whatever it is, fourth? Like, I know he hasn't had that many. No, no, but no. I think the most – I think he won in – I don't know exactly when he's won it, but I know – I'm pretty sure he won it in 07. Um, my whole thing with the Belichick thing is just, look, it's just because no one had any realistic expectations for the Patriots this year. Everyone thought that they were yeah. going to be – like, okay, this is the year. Like, even two after, when they went two and four, I'm like, okay, let's focus on 2022 because these players are locked in long-term. And I'll say this right now, they're not going away. I know people are going to hate me for saying that. Like, I think next year, too, especially if the Dolphins can get their shit figured out. And, like, I'm, I'm sorry to say that. Like, I mean, like, if you guys can be consistent, you know, not shoot yourselves in the foot like you did a few times this year, that AFC East next year is going to be a very, very interesting division. Yeah, the Dolphins Dolphins certainly fucked up the first half of their season. They lost several games they should not have lost. It's embarrassing. It's going to look really bad at the end of the year that they lost to the Jets and the Falcons, like given how those two teams look right now, and especially since one of those games was at home. But yeah, you're not wrong. I think no one did expect this out of the Patriots, and I think I think Belichick will make a good case for it. I just checked. He's only won it three times, 2007, 2003, and 2010. So definitely a very limited sample uh, as of now. I mean, 2010 was Tom Brady's dream season where he was the first unanimous MVP in the history of the NFL. So, so that'll be, it'll be an interesting race. We'll see how it finishes. This, this game, this weekend, uh, this game, this weekend, uh, Titans Patriots could maybe be a factor in who wins coach of the year, whoever wins that game. I have a weird feeling the Titans are going to win this game. I don't know why. I just think they're coming off a bad loss. Um, I think the Patriots are due for a, well, I thought we were due for one against Cleveland, like a letdown. And also, too, the other thing that concerns me is their defense has got some guys that can play. Their defense is – Yeah, Jeff, Jeff, Jeffrey Simmons is playing awesome. He is, too. They have another guy up in the middle. This game, I think, honestly, is going to come down to whichever offensive line can play better. I said that against – I said that with the Browns game and it was the Patriots. I'm saying that with this game, and I mean it, too. It's whatever offensive line can play better. And if you had to ask me right now, I'd say Patriots. 
I still think this is like this is a field goal game. I think this is going to be a, a sweated out game, one that I haven't had to experience since the Chargers. So I've been kind of fortunate the last three weeks to have kind of easy wins. But I think this weekend, if you're a Patriots fan, you think it's going to be an easy win, you're sadly mistaken. No, when, like like we said earlier, like the Titans have done this a lot this year. The Rams game, the Chiefs game, the Bills game. Like they're in that spot where no one thinks they can win. They're like six to seven point underdogs and they don't just cover. They win outright. They they play to the level of their competition. They lost to the Jets and Texans and they beat some of the best teams in the league. Like that's what they do. They they can win or lose any game they play. So, yeah, like I don't think it'll be an easy one at all. Uh, we'll see. Uh, no real feel on how it'll go as of right now. But later in the week, like we'll see. No, exactly. We'll, we'll have to wait and see if later in the week it's all just going to come down to uh, what happens. But, um, no, we got a lot of interesting games this week. We also have some more developments, too. I know I haven't talked about it too, too much, um, but college football is coming down to the wire, too. I have Joe Provos coming on Wednesday. We're going to talk all about that. We may delve into some more NFL games. Uh, also, i got to pay the bills here quickly, too. i got to give a quick shout-out to Sideline Shop and their new website, sideline.shop.ca. For all your jersey needs, guys, they have it all. Go on there. Check the website out. Link in the description. by. If you do go on there, tell them I sent you because, you know what, pays the bills around here. Um, but, no, this is honestly – I know we're getting close to the end of the season, but this is, like, the best time – like, this is the year of the NFL, and I also have heard this, too, that Pete Rozelle is, like, would just be elated right now to have this where – there's so much parity because, like I said before, you know the top dogs, but it's that middle of the pack that we're still trying to figure out, and I'm all here for it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's going to make the league a lot of fun. It's going to make the str- it's going to make the final few weeks a lot of fun. And look, last year the playoffs weren't very good, in my opinion. Most of the games were kind of bad. Uh, the only playoff games that I thought were really like fun back and forth, high playoff quality were Bills Colts. The first, the very first game we got might've yes. been the best one. Uh, and you know, I, I guess you could say Packers, I'm, the, the chiefs Browns. I don't think the whole game was fun because the chiefs were like destroying them for most of the game. I think that fourth quarter was kind of fun and dramatic seeing Chad Henney come in. Like that was a cool moment, but I don't think the game as a whole was a great game. I just think it was a great fourth quarter. And then I guess some people like Packers bucks, but, I don't like games like that where like one team is dominating for a half and the other team is dominating for a half, which is what happened in that game. The Bucks went up by four touchdowns like right away. And then like the Brady started throwing interceptions. The Packers started coming back. Didn't quite do enough. Uh, But I don't think that that's not what I would call like a great game. So hopefully because there's so much parity, because we don't know how much better any team is than any other team. Hopefully that means the playoff this year are a lot of fun. Because if all these teams are so evenly matched, no one can separate in either conference, then maybe that means every game will be really close and really exciting. So that, that's something to look forward to as an NFL fan. 100%. It's, it's the best thing to look forward to. Um, and also to like the NFL playoffs. That's why I was saying I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk college on when, on uh, Wednesdays because with college football right now, we like the, the playoffs are such fucking bullshit. They have to do something about it. I feel like it's a thing that like – we're trying to do it, but you're not doing anything wrong. It's like, you know, when you have, like, something that's broken, but it's like the simplest fix can work, but it's like you don't think about it, and then you realize, oh, hey, this actually works, and everyone all wants to be like, well, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. We all know who's, who's in there. It seems like a matter of if, not when. I mean, my bad. It's a matter of when, not if, they, um, they, cha- they expand the playoff. Like, I just think at some point it's just inevitable. There's going to be too much of an outcry for it. There's going to be too much money on the line. I mean, those, some of those college football playoff games in an expanded format would do incredible business. And 
the teams are going to want it because more coaches can make the playoff, more coaches can keep their job that way. I just think it's a matter of time. I know that's going to drive Marquine crazy if he's listening because that's why he loves college football, that only a few teams get to make to the championship game. It makes every week feel so special. You can't afford to lose twice or your season's over. Like, But I do think eventually it's going to happen, and then we'll get some really exciting college football playoff games. But not this year, unfortunately. Hopefully we get Georgia-Ohio State in the title game, and hopefully that game is fun. Also, love looking at this right now. They're showing the because I don't know if you saw during the Mike Evans touchdown celebration, but he uh, was going to give the ball away, but he didn't. And then they showed the guy with the bear, the stuff against the Bears, and then um, all the signed stuff that he got from the Buccaneers, including his season tickets for next year's. You, you are the man. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh oh. Hopefully, hopefully you're not. Hopefully you're not going to reveal that Daniel Jones just threw a pick or something. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying shit. <laughs> All good. I saw. Yeah, it. just to throw a pick to Nunez Rocha. Rocha's, you know, no, no, he didn't do, just do that. No, no, no. Why would Why would Daniel Jones fuck up when pressure's in his face and uh, a lineman completely misses his assignment there? Like, like sixty-nine. Like, oh, um, back to the college football thing. Though my only thing is because this year, unless Alabama loses to either Auburn or in the SEC championship game. They're in the playoff. Ohio State's going to be in the playoff unless they lose the Big Ten. And then I feel like it's just filling out the last spot because we. Pre- I think Georgia's going to be in it regardless of what happens yeah, there with uh, with whatever happens in Alabama, unless you make an excuse for someone else getting in. I think I understand people don't like them. I think Cincinnati should get in. They've beat they beat Notre Dame handily, and right now Notre Dame is like the fifth ranked team in the country. Um, according to the Associated Press. And in the college football playoff rankings, Notre Dame will probably be like – they'll probably be like six or seven, somewhere like that, because Michigan State lost, so Notre Dame is going to jump them. So that win over Notre Dame – I understand they're a group of five team. I understand they don't play a hard schedule. But they solidly beat one of the six best teams in the country. It is a more impressive win than any team below them has right now on the season. So I think if they win out, they should get it. Um I also – I think Georgia's going to beat Bama in the title game. I mean, we'll see. Georgia's certainly up to now been the better team. That doesn't mean they'll win that game. But up to now, they've certainly been the better team. And if Georgia beats Bama in the title game, then it's going to be Georgia. It's going to be Ohio State. And I don't know if Bama will get in with two losses. Georgia – I agree with you. Georgia will get in either way, whether they're 12-0 and or whether they're 11-1 and or I guess 13-0 and or 12-1. and Georgia's getting in either way. No doubt about that. But if they beat Bama in the title game and Bama has two losses – then you could see Bama. I mean, you could see Georgia. You could see Ohio State. You could see whoever wins between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State this weekend because whoever wins that might win the Big 12. And you could probably see Cincinnati getting over a two-loss Bama team. I know that sounds inconceivable to think the bias committee is ever going to put an undefeated group of five team over Alabama. But with two losses, I think they'll be in a tough spot. So we'll see what happens. I think, But I think if Bama beats Georgia, I think you get Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. And you either get Cincinnati or you get in the winner of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I do not think they would put Notre Dame in over Cincinnati because Cincinnati beat them straight up. But although, but my only stupid thing is, too, that the committee ranked Michigan over Michigan State because um, Michigan State lost to fucking Purdue and Michigan. But then when the head, they ignored the head-to-head completely, when they were like, oh, but they lost this week, it's just like, no. Like, you, like the, the committee has to look at it like from a logical sense, and I feel like they yeah. don't do that. Yeah, they – it's it's inconsistent. Like they ranked they ranked Oregon over Ohio State for a while, and Oregon lost to Oregon lost to uh, Stanford. And Oregon also got their ass kicked by Utah this weekend. 
they did. And then like they deserved it. <laughs> they deserve they deserve to go down the rankings, which they will. But the point is for or they ranked Oregon over Ohio State, but they wouldn't rank Michigan State over Michigan. It's just it's just a little inconsistent. Like they need to it whatever you either head to head matters or it doesn't. But it's a very inconsistent standard to think, yeah, we can rank Oregon over Ohio State, even though they have a bad loss because they beat them head to head. But you don't apply those same rules to Michigan and Michigan State. So hopefully, hopefully the rankings will at least make more sense in the following weeks. But as we know, they probably will. I, I do. I, I just know for tomorrow we're going to see Georgia one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, and then you're going to see. I feel like the fourth is just like okay, someone just just throw someone in there. I feel like they like the, if they put Notre Dame, you're going to get a lot of flack for that. If anything. I'm going to say this, and it doesn't going to sound good because I think they do belong in there, but they may throw Cincinnati their bone this week. Yeah, they could. They could be ranked four this week, especially since even even if you're even if you're a skeptic who thinks okay they're going to fuck Cincinnati down the road at some point, they don't have to do that now. We saw that the very first year of the playoff in 2014, TCU was rated third going into the championship game. They won. Well, it was it wasn't a. I don't think the Big 12 had a championship game back then, but they were they were ranked third going into their last game. They demolished the team they played in their last game, and they fell from third to sixth. So even if they put Cincinnati fourth now, that doesn't mean they'll leave them there when the playoff starts, but I do think it's pretty easy to do to just put them there as of right now. No, no I, I, I completely agree. I think it's if – because if you put Notre Dame or Cincinnati, everyone's going to come out and do – you know, do you ever remember the Mike Silver uh, – shrugging at Aaron Rodgers after the uh, replacement ref game against Seattle yeah. on the Monday Nighter. I feel yeah. like you're going to get everyone looking at the community being like, like, what the fuck, man? Like, and also, too, by the way, I want to correct myself. I thought it was Nunes Roaches. It was Steve McClendon with the interception. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> well, we did, when, we were, when we were talking about this game beforehand, we did say, yeah, we think the Giants can cover, but we, all, we, we know that Daniel Jones is going to have a hilariously crippling turnover. Every single game we watch of his is what happens. So and, and that's and that's what happened. It's it's the it's I know I hope that they somehow sneak the Giants into prime. I also I look at Jason Garrett and I'm like they have to fire him at the end of the year. You can keep Joe Judge. Jason Garrett's got to go. Yeah, they got to change, especially since the offense is usually the problem. Uh, even though even though Daniel Jones played better this year, uh, and and they have had a lot of injuries. I'm not trying to be ignorant of that, but it just you you got to make some moves. Like you can't just do nothing. That's not that's not on the table. No, exactly. Um, one other point I wanted to make to you quickly, because he's been in the news a lot lately. What do we think of Robert Sala at the moment? Do we think it's just it's in his first year, we don't know what's going on? Or do you think it's there's something more there that he may not exactly be this perfect hire everyone thought he was going to be? It's hard. That's a tough one. Um, well, look, I'll, I'll first state, if he were doing the exact same thing in, like, Detroit or Jacksonville, you know, he we wouldn't pass. He would he would get more of a pass than he is now. Like Dan, I know I saw we, our friend Danny. He vented on Twitter the other day. Like he didn't like how the team was being covered because he was saying like, well, we all knew the team was going to be bad. Like why is everyone like holding us to such high standards that we were never going to meet? And Zach Wilson got hurt to defend them. Also, uh, it's certainly a red flag when you're a defensive minded coach and your defense is terrible. And I saw this with Brian Flores in Miami his first year. Like, because I Jets fans listening will probably say, well, the roster's not very good. They're in the rebuilding stage, cut up some slack. That's what Brian Flores had a, like, terrible defense, terrible defense in 2019. 
with a horrible roster, a much worse roster than, than what the Jets have right now. But the problem was that defense got better as the year went along. And right now we have not seen that with the Jets defense. And you would think with a defensive-minded coach, we're not saying the defense has to be a top-10 defense. We understand you don't have the roster for that, especially when they lost uh, Carl Lawson in the offseason. But we do think that you need to be better than what you've shown, at least up to now, because they were historically terrible for a four-week stretch. And that's not a good look for a defensive-minded head coach. But, like, it's still early. He's had to play four different quarterbacks. I thought their defense played okay on Sunday when I watched that game. Like, you know, they did all right. They did what they could. So, like, I I don't want to give them, like, too much slack necessarily. Uh, I just think that they need to start showing some signs of progress. But, like, this whole, like, one-and-done stuff, I think that's a little too much. Like, that's not fair to him. Like, I... Like he's there's there's other first year coaches in the league right now that deserve that more than Robert Sala does. So I think that's a little too harsh by the New York media to hint at that passively, like has has been implied or suggested in the past couple of weeks. There is one first year coach that I can see him not losing his job. And I know people are saying he should be fired. And that's David Culley, just because with the Houston Texans, if he were to go, who's going to hire him? So I just want to throw that out there. I still think there's an outside shot. Urban Meyer's not there after this year. And, and it- I think that's about it. I think all the other guys are safe. And Dan Campbell obviously signed a really long contract. And, they, and if they fire David Culley, like, who the fuck is going to want that job? Like, that 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 team, like, they had to hire him in the first place because no one wanted that job. He was willing to do it. People know the organizational structure is weird with Jack Easterby and his relationship with Cal McNair. The roster's horrible. They're, it's going to be better from a draft pick perspective because the Texans – get all their picks back next year, and they're going to trade Watson and have even more picks on top of that. So it's going to look better. I don't deny that. But, like, if you fire Coley after one year, like, who, what coach in his right mind is going to want to take that job? So I think they kind of have no choice. Like, they could fire Coley after two or three years, but I don't think you can make him one and done. Um, and honestly, let's be real. Like, people thought this team would go 0-16 at one point. Like, I never believed that. I, I came on the show with you guys, and I said they're going to win week one against the Jaguars, and maybe they lose every other game. They've Overall, I think they've played better than people thought. They've won two games, and they were really competitive in a third. So I think I think that they're, they're not quite as bad as people think. I don't think that's fire-worthy at all. The Salah stuff to me is overreactionary, though. Like, let him get Zach Wilson back. You know, let Zach Wilson show signs of growth. And give him a chance to make it. Maybe, maybe the defense plays well in September. We don't know that. We Maybe the defense will only allow 22 points a game in the month of September. And that'd be progress. And that would be better for everyone involved. So we'll see. My, my, my thing with the Jets is right here. Look, this. I think if... I'm also going to ask you this. Would it be crazy to think that they should shut Zach Wilson down for the rest of the season? Because they're 2-8. and eight. There's like... They might. I think they may be... They may fuck around and win another game. I could see them, you know, playing spoiler and beating the Eagles, which I'm, I'll get into them in a minute. But um, I, I, I agree with you completely. I just don't see it already. I know we like to come on here and bag on them. I'm going to have Danny on at some point. Obviously, I need to get the two of you back on here at some point in the not-too-distant future. But I just feel like with the Jets, look, it's a work in progress. I just think it's because you're in New York. I think it's – the overall magnitude of that market. And also, I'll say this right now, if the Giants can win, lose by 10, that would be great. Um, but with the um, overall magnitude of this game, look, with, with the Jets, it's just, look, it's not going to be perfect this year. No one expected it to be. You're going to have two very good, 
they're the never mind the Bears. The Jets are probably gonna have two top ten first round picks next year that they can use to address the both lines on both sides. Like obviously offensive line's a concern for them. And uh, defensive line plus two. I know they didn't spend a crazy amount of money this offseason, so I think they should still have a decent amount of cap left to go out and pick up some guys. So, like, Robert Sala and also Joe Douglas can work together, get this first thing in there, and, you know, get guys who are going to buy into the Robert Sala philosophy. Yeah, and, like, anyone who's critical, like, I, I must ask, like, anyone who anyone listening who thinks he should be fired, I, wanted, I just want to ask you, how many games did you think they would win before the season? Because unless you thought it was, like, six or seven – like, this is irrational because I think most people view them as kind of like a 4-13 and 13 team, and that's where they're trending towards right now. They're, they're on schedule to me. They have not – no one thought they would beat the Patriots. No one thought they would beat the Dolphins. No one thought they would beat the Bills. They were always projected to finish last in the division, and everybody knew that. So I just don't know what you were expecting. If you, like, that, that, that's my myth. Give them more time. Give Joe, Joe Douglas more time, and then see where it goes from there uh, and see, see, see how they finish out the year. My thing with them was I my at my high 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 ceiling was five or six if they were lucky. I always thought it was like like four to five wins was more the realistic approach to these guys. I always thought it was going to be you know a four and thirteen five and twelve season. Like I I know they play the Bills week eighteen. I know they still have to play you guys. I think once more this year. But besides that, I won't look at them. Oh, they play the Texans this Sunday. That's a yep. I think that's a that's a very good chance for them to get a dub right there. It's it's pretty incredible that the Texans at any point this year are three point favorites. Like that, <laughs> that's incredible that the Texans are actually favored in a football game. And I mean, I mean, by all means, they could win. I just find it humorous that like the Texans are actually favored. Oh, that's a bad miss by Daniel Jones. And they also, yeah, they also play the Saints. They play the Jags, the Eagles, and then they have Week Seventeen. They have the Buccaneers at home. <laughs> you want to play guess the spread for that one? <laughs> it will, it'll be high. It'll it'll be high. Let's just say that. Very 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 high. Uh, could see Blaine Gabbard in the game by 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 halftime again. I remember Detroit last year on Week 16 yeah. when they went in there. That's another thing I was going to say earlier with Tampa was they killed Detroit last year when Detroit was completely depleted and they needed to do that. They won. I think like Brady was pulled at the half and he already had like. 30 fantasy points. I Brady actually won me a, a fantasy championship that weekend. I had him and Rodgers, and that was the same weekend where the Packers played the Titans on Sunday Night Football, and Rodgers also had, like, three or four touchdowns. Like, both, yeah. both those both those guys combined won me a championship. That, I'm sorry. That's a bullshit, Mark. You're going to see it in a minute. Oh, come on. That's a fur. I hate – they've been doing that so much this year. Like, do it at the spot of the catch. Yeah, he goes backwards for some fucking bizarre reason, but he had the ball within first down yardage. Like, he catches it two yards after the marker. Like, what the fuck? It's also not reviewable. He's forced back. Like, he's forced back, and he tries to turn back. Like, yeah, that's a horrible call. Yeah. You got to mark forward the... progress. Okay, they're going. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. They are going for it. I'm not going to say what happens. Those... All right. Yeah. Um, hold on. Hold on. Let's see. And sorry, folks, for the air buffer. We're live reacting to this game right now. Um, but, yeah, that's my only thing with the Jets is, look, whatever happens, happens. I think look to the future for them. Like I said, they're going to have two top picks this year. Uh, two? Right now, both their picks are top five. Oh, shit. Yeah, because the Seahawks are three and seven. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd also like to say that, too. Danny and I called that back in August that they were going to miss the playoffs, the Seahawks. Yep. and. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Pete Carroll's gone at the end of the year. I don't think he's fired. I think it's, you know, 
mutual agreeing of parting ways or like a Bruce Arians retirement where he retires, he maybe stays away from the game, but then in 23, someone comes calling. It just, it just seems like... Some, or he takes a USC job. Well, one, one thing I'm very willing to bet on is either him or Russ are gone. I think this just this season just feels like an end of an era season for them. Like, it just... I don't think you can run this back anymore. Like, I just... I think you, you officially hit the point of no return. Like, something's got to change. Something. Yeah. They're also at the point too, where obviously, look, I know they're, they're, they've all gone, they've gone downhill since they almost went back to back in the Super Bowl, but they shot themselves in the foot literally, and I thank them for that every day. But um, when it comes to when it comes to Seattle, I think they've just been trying to replicate that, like where they think it's still the Legion of Boom. They think this is twenty third. Like Russell, Russell Wilson's so great, but I think look. His, like, training stuff of, like, 19 hours a day, like, no. Yeah. I understand you want to train hard to get back to that action. you got to rest up, man. Like, I know, like, it's like he – like, Russell Wilson seems like he's the kind of guy that works out to the rocks wraps up. Yeah, like, he – like, he always got to make sure the cameras are on, always got to make sure the cameras are documenting it. And, I mean, I mean the results bear it out. Like, let's call a spade a spade. He's been terrible the last two weeks. There's no other way to say it. He's really fallen off because last year he was that guy where it was, like, you know, never got an MVP vote in his life. He was this and that. And then all of a sudden he just decided to turn and be, and then he decided to turn it around. He got pretty good. And then he just fell off. Cause last year was weird where it was like, look, their offense was great. And then the defense was shit. And then the offense was shit. And then the defense was great. And also too, also this, they, I, I still can't believe not that they traded for Jamal Adams. So obviously we thought they were in that position, but they, the fact they gave him that big contract, and they, they, they basically he held them hostage, and they compete, and they negotiated with them poorly. And it's gonna, and it put them in a really, really bad spot. Like now, like they, they this is why though you should never trade so many picks for one defensive player. I think like the Ramsey thing, maybe the only one that like you can really say like really worked out great. Like uh, Peter King in his recent Football Morning in America column did a good breakdown of the the Khalil Mack trade, looking at it for both teams. And he kind of concluded that it just didn't really help either team all that much at the end of the day. Whereas this obviously the Jamal Adams one has been a disaster for Seattle. There's no other way to say it. But and you know, trading so many picks for Laramie Tunsil, another example. It's just it's so hard for one player to be that crucial to winning. And the Seahawks they weren't even they weren't even trading for like a stereotypical impact position like cornerback or left tackle. They were trading for a safety, a good safety, but still a safety. And he's and he's not even a coverage safety, even though even though like he you know he had that interception against the Packers, which was like his the third of his career or something like that. But the, in the Cardinals game, he draws pass interference on third down in the red zone with the game on the line. You hold the Cardinals to a field goal there. You're only down six. You have a chance. Instead, he gets pi on Zach Ertz. Cardinals punch it in with James Conner, 10-point lead, two minutes left, ball game. And for a non-coverage safety to give two first-round picks for is just crazy. And it's just, it's just, just in general, teams just never do it. Like, never do it with almost very little exception, I guess, is the, is the final conclusion. I think I still, like, you know, you said one of both are gone. I wouldn't be shocked if both are gone. I don't think they'll, they would fire Pete Carroll, though. I think he'd you know, be that respectful, like, hey, look, we've agreed that, look, team's going in a different direction. Um, I'm going to be leaving the organization very similar to what well, something you and I both relate to the Kyle Lowry leaving, uh, yeah. leaving Toronto. Cause I don't know if you saw the article today by Mark Spears, but he basically came out and said, look, I love Toronto. I still talk to the guys. I'm going to retire a Raptor. It's just, he knew that, look, where the Raptors were going and where the heat were going were very different. So if Pete Carroll 
like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if he had left and then USC came calling again. I'm just throwing that out in the universe right now. I know everyone's thinking Urban Meyer or even Mike Tomlin for some bizarre reason, which I'll say this. Mike Tomlin's the kind of coach you fire your coach to go hire. Yeah. Don't fire him just because. Have, and like, you know, have, make it clear that like there's no path forward. Like sometimes it's not that obvious that there's, remember, people forget now, before Lamar Jackson took over for Joe Flacco, the Ravens were five and five in 2018 and they approached their bye week, five and five on like a two game losing streak. And there were rumblings, could John Harbaugh be fired during the bye week? But it wasn't, be, it wasn't because they had any better options. They were just like, oh, well, we haven't made the playoffs in a few years. Maybe it's time to make a change. Even though they had just drafted Lamar Jackson, there was a path forward. If you got a new quarterback and see how it went with the new quarterback, there was a path forward. And so they tried it with Lamar and obviously worked out great. And now he's still there, still regarded as one of the best coaches in football. <sighs> Yep. Like, look, John Mar- John Harbaugh's been there since 2006 as well. I think he's a guy. He he's going to get in the Hall of Fame as a head coach one day. He's just been because with the Ravens, he's built a super consistent program. Obviously, they only have the and even too. He I know it's like saying, oh, he's only got the one Super Bowl, but still, he's got that. He's got numerous playoff appearances. He's built a program. And now with Pete Carroll, am I saying he's a bad head coach? No, I just think with the Seahawks, they're just teams going in the different directions. Um, the Steelers, though, to me, are like the Broncos. I think if the Steelers can get the right quarterback, you know beef up their offensive line, they'll be a playoff team next year with a good with a good quarterback. Because also, to all say this, man, Pat Fryermuth looking like a really good tight end at the moment. Yeah, looking like a stud. Looking like a real stud. And the Steelers, the Steelers got him one round later than when the Falcons got Kyle Pitts. Now, obviously, Kyle Pitts is better. I'm not saying he's not. But, you know, like for one round less of draft compensation and then to do what he did, like it is pretty impressive. Exactly. And also, Najee Harris been looking pretty good for them, even though I've been – a lot of people have gotten me on the train of, you know, no first round, um, don't draft running back in the first round, but I feel like Najee Harris could be an exception. Obviously the Giants will see like the Saquon Barkley situation is a little messy in my opinion, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, I don't think our, I don't think our cover is hitting today. I think, look, uh, the Giants are just finding ways to lose this game unless that, unless there can be like a miracle pick, not pick six, but unless the Giants can get their shit together. I don't think we're winning. Well, and folks, remember, this is why you never prematurely celebrate. Uh, we were tooting our own horn in the second quarter a little bit. And then I did try to put a caveat. Well, maybe there'll be a pick six. Maybe there'll be a kick return touchdown. We did get a horrific <laughs> Daniel Jones interception. Uh, look, it's not it's not over yet. Force a punt, get a touchdown. All of a sudden, things are looking okay. But, uh, yeah, not looking as hot as it did earlier today. Nope, not by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, well, anyway, folks, I think we're going to go off and enjoy the rest of the fourth quarter. I, don't, I think we've, we've been going on for long enough. I think we've uh, done pretty well. I just want to say, look, I know Big Rat's been here for only the Daniel Jones primetime series so far, but, <laughs> but he's going to be back. Don't worry, folks. For anyone thinking he's going there, there's, there's guests I have come on the show. Obviously, I have guys from different teams, but then there are the OGs, what I like to call, where the category of, like, Big Rat, Markeem, Danny, Phil – those are like the I would call the core four where they'll always be on no matter the time of year, no matter what happens. And also too, and also we'll put Matt Beast in there as well. And like even still, I'm probably gonna need a Christmas episode going again soon, like what we did last year. I don't know if you remember but yeah. it was like you and I, Beast, Phil, Danny. It was, four, yeah, it, was a, it was a ginormous podcast. It was like five five people. Exactly. So I may try to keep it to four people this year just to like, you know, make it a little more conducive so uh, one person's not always like silent or whatever, but we'll We'll see. We have a lot of stuff planned up coming up. 
we're going to have the Danny and Phil, uh, not Danny and Phil, Dan, uh, Danny and Big Rap pods coming back. I know I'm going to okay. get Danny back on sometime soon. But anyway, folks, hopefully there's somehow flex into primetime on a Sunday night or somewhere down the season. I don't see it happening, but if they did, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, pr- pr- probably unlikely, but uh, hey, yeah, maybe we could come on before the next Dolphins Jets game and have some have some fun going back and forth, making some fireworks. Uh, but yeah, th- thanks, Griff. It was fun as always. Always a good time. Uh, and yeah, Thank no you. problem. Anytime, anytime, man. Anytime, kid. But anyway, folks, this has been episode number one hundred and thirty-one of YWC Football Talk. I'll see you guys again Wednesday. And if I don't get to talk to you before then, and also to you, Big Rat, Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you, man. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.